Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Rory McNamara. Thank you very much for joining us today for Volume 2 of our Sorry for All Your Retro Wrestling Goodness, the World Wrestling Federation. Joining me today, we're making history on the show with our first ever four-man booth. I don't know how all three of them are going to thank me for saying this, but we could say we have the past, present, and future of the podcast with us. Uh, Chris, that makes you the past, I'm afraid. Chris Lacey? It's all right. I'm old. It's fine. Meaning Pete Kimber is the present. I think I'm older, actually, but... Uh... <laughs> Hi, guys. And the future is in safe hands with Adam Joyce. I'm not that much younger than you guys. <laughs> no, no pressure, everybody. This is Volume 2, World Wrestling Federation. As I'm sure you will have heard by now, Volume 1, World Championship Wrestling, looking at Bill Goldberg's title win and the Bash at the Beach pay-per-view. Volume 3 is our ECW show as we begin our march towards Heatwave. But it's Volume 2, World Wrestling Federation... Bit of a quiet month news-wise, but Pete, you've got a few headlines there. Let's see what we got. Certainly have. I'm not going to sing these, Rory. Sorry to let you down. No, 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 <laughs> no vocals this time. No, sorry about that. Um, so apparently we're on a highway to hell. We are indeed on a highway to hell. That is the subtitle for SummerSlam, which WWF are pushing hard this year. Biggest, uh, mm-hmm. biggest push to SummerSlam I can remember for a long time. Really cementing it as its position as the WrestleMania 2 mm-hmm. of the year. And when I say WrestleMania 2, I mean WrestleMania 2.0. I don't mean the actual WrestleMania 2. No, nobody wants that. Main event is going to be set as Steve Austin versus The Undertaker. We'll talk a lot more about that as we go. And do expect to hear over the next five months the aforementioned Highway to Hell by ACDC being played a hell of a lot because Vince McMahon, tight what that he is, has actually acquired the rights to it. Fully loaded, fires blanks. Yes, but uh, before a big pay-per-view these days, there has to be a small one, and I'm afraid fully loaded fit that particular category. We'll break it down for you a little later on, but there's not a whole lot going on. Two major talking points coming back from that one. A half an hour, two out of three falls match between uh, The Rock and Triple H, uh, which ended in a draw. And the team of The Undertaker and Steve Austin, they're just tag team partners who can't get along, but they won the tag team title belts from the team of Mankind and Kane. The Heartbreak Kid is back. Well, sort of. Yes, yeah, so we talk about it pretty much every month, but uh, we did get to actually see Shawn Michaels this time. Doing some commentary on Raw on the second Raw of the month. Still don't know yet when his actual in-ring comeback is going to be. It's been... <sighs> we tentatively hinted at the Royal Rumble last month. Now it looks like it's edged back out to WrestleMania. There is talk that he will be featured as the guest referee for the Rock Triple H ladder rematch which is already earmarked for SummerSlam. Interesting moment, too, because the, the Raw he appeared on was a taped show, which he actually was hugged by X-Pac. But that was edited out of the final broadcast, suggesting that when Michaels does make his return, maybe he will be feuding with DX after all. He looks like looks like he's going to be a babyface going forward, but uh, we'll tell you first. The heat is on. Sundays. It's a brand new show going to be airing on Sundays on the USA Network, taking over the slot, which uh, WCW used to have, by the name of Sunday Night Heat. And it may even have aired by the time you come to listen to this, this show. August the 3rd will be its debut. Five weeks worth so far. Could become a permanent fixture. 
at the moment then it is really going to be another extra preview show for SummerSlam. as i say they are really giving that the hard sell but if it goes well it could become a weekly show in its own right it's not going to be a wrap program it's going to be new material brand new matches shot and we'll try and bring some information for that on you next month don't read about it view it Yes, Fox News uh, hosted a mini documentary about pro wrestling earlier this month. <laughs> Where else would you go for wrestling news? Eh? They called it the not at all patronizing name of Wrestling Hurts, <laughs> in which they were looking at the popularity of pro wrestling these days. This being a program on Fox, I wouldn't normally mention it, but there are two very choice quotes. Here's one from Vince McMahon, and we'll get, get more onto this towards the end of our program. It's more dangerous now. There's no doubt about that. We have far more injuries than we did in the past. We tell stories. We're a live soap opera using the greatest athletes in the world to tell stories. The audience is demanding more activity. They're demanding more aggression, which we do very well. In fact, most of us enjoy it. And we also got this from Steve Austin. By all rights, I shouldn't be sitting here. I should be lying somewhere. But I'm a very lucky person. My head was sticking out about that far below the guy's leg and he gave me a pile driver. So you're looking at 500 pounds coming down on top of my head. For over a minute, I was a quadriplegic. I couldn't move my arms or legs or nothing, and it scared the hell out of me. This is a 365 days a year job. You don't take time off if you don't need to, because as soon as you do that, you're creating an opportunity for someone else, and that's exactly why I got my break, because someone else screwed up, and I'll never forget it. Note, he never once mentioned Owen Hart's name during that particular soiree. We are the Wrestling 20 Years Pogo podcast, and you can find us on patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs. $5 a month keeps the show on the road, and it gives you exclusive first-right access to the shows when they are available, if they are available. Been quite a late taping schedule again this month, but watch out for that. And more on this towards the end, not only do you keep the show going, not only do you get our standard shows nice and early, you will get, and Chris, should we tell them this now? New bonus content. There is super special stuff that is ready to go live on the very first of August. You probably already, already know about that. Yes, you, you, might, you might well have heard it by the time you actually even hear this show if you're a Patreon subscriber. But yes, there you go. Please drop drop us those five dollars, and this bonus show you will be getting will not be the last. Let me just say that I might give you one or two more clues as we get a bit later on throughout this particular show. But yes, Patreon.com forward slash wrestling 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 20 yrs seriously a fantastic podcast <laughs> week one's tv opens up with the undertaker calling out stone cold and saying that he wants a title match michael cole goes right stage looking for stone cold out comes austin as does vince vince says wait he says that the inmates are trying to run the asylum and he's the one that decides who and when a title match happens and makes the fully loaded main event Stone Cold and Undertaker versus Mankind and Kane. Vince then gives Austin the one finger salute. We see Savio Vega beat Baracus in the Brawl for All. Ken Shamrock and Jeff Jarrett go to a DQ as Mabel attacks and splashes Ken Shamrock. After the break, Ken calls out Mabel. Vader and Bradshaw have a stiff brawl that's ended by Mankind and Kane coming in and attacking both. The DOA go against the Headbangers with the DOA winning with a suplex neckbreaker combo. Terry Funk and D'Lo. D'Lo wins the match with the lowdown. After the match, Undertaker comes out and chokeslams both D'Lo, Funk and the Godfather. 
Vince then comes out and makes the announcement for the number one contender. He brings out Mankind, Kane and The Undertaker and says that all three will face each other in a triple threat match. More Brawl for All action. We see Droz and Hawk fight to a draw. This is where the crowd have finally had enough of the Brawl for All and we get the boring chance start already. Mark Mero and Jacqueline are out in the ring. The reason Mero lost last week was that he'd gone 12 rounds the night before, which brings out Sable, and we get Jerry Springer-style bitching. Dustin Reynolds versus Val Venus. Kai and Tai come out and attack Val during the match, with Yamaguchi saying, No more hello, ladies. We then see DX come out, dressed as the nation. Triple H being The Rock, X-Pac being Mark Hendry, Road Dog being D'Lo, Billy Gunn being The Godfather, and newcomer Jason Sensation being Owen Hart. They mock the nation and then tell them to suck it. Most funny in this is Jason Sensation being bang on with his impression of Owen Hart. We then get Shamrock versus Mabel. Mabel wins the match with the ankle lock. Vince and Austin come out onto commentary for our main event of the evening, which is Undertaker versus Kane versus Mankind. Well, that's what it should be. Undertaker never comes out. Vince gets Chimmel to call out Taker and calls him a chicken shit for not coming out. This makes the match Kane versus Mankind. Mankind stays outside of the ring, sat by the stairs, saying that he will not fight Kane. Kane grabs a chair and blasts him head first with the chair. Kane then rolls him into the ring and gets the pin. After the pin, Kane pulls back the mask to reveal the Undertaker. should have smelled what The Rock was cooking. <laughs> oh, look at B-Lo. Nation ain't gonna like this. I ain't faking. You should have smelled what The Rock was baking. The Rock was baking. Brother was baking. <laughs> look at, look at D-Lo. He's the man. He's gonna shake his hand. I'm sorry, that's B-Lo. Uh-oh. Going on here now. Wait a minute. Uh oh, it's the people's elbow, JR. Ah, oh, the best damn elbow in the business, according to The Rock. Look at this. <laughs> As a matter of fact, <laughs> people's elbow. And the people are standing up. Look at this. When it comes to the croc and the ladies, and the croc hits rock bottom, he has no choice but to lay that smack down on himself. <laughs> you hear that? The brother smacks himself down. Oh, look at me. Oh, man. Can you imagine the rock? He's broken every piece of furniture in his living room right now. Hey, wait a minute. Look at this guy. Is that his nose or did he park a bus on his face? Supposed to be Owen Hart. Well, enough is enough. And it's time for a change! Listen to that! It is Owen Hart! Did you hear that? So voice? what? No 
Nobody listens to me. Nobody gives a damn what I think. And what the hell am I doing wearing this ridiculous outfit? I look like a damn road sign. What the hell am I? A school crossing? You know, I tried to be a tough guy, but I just couldn't grow my damn beard in. And you know what? I am not a nugget. I'm a black heart, damn it. A winner, a soul survivor. Woo! Oh, things are not well in Calgary tonight. That is, that is Owen Hart. And if anybody smells what the rock is cooking, it's me. Look how big my damn nose is. <laughs> what the hell am I? An art bark? <laughs> what does the brother look like? An art bark? Bilo, look at Bilo. Hey, 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 Rock. Me is Ark Henry. I don't know what y'all cooking. Smells like shit. Oh my. But I think I'll eat some anyway. <laughs> you know something, Mark Henry? <laughs> Me is Ark Henry. <laughs> right. I know you're the world's strongest man, and the croc's got a hell of a body himself. But there's one thing the people want to know. How do you get your pecs to go all the way around to your back like that? <laughs> oh, man. What he wants to know is how... Shut up! <laughs> Look. Shut your mouths and know your role. Nation, it's real simple. We got two words for you. So, okay, while I got my teeth back in, you would have heard the first week of TV there. And a really quite fascinating and close-to-the-bone promo in which D-Generation X, all that can be said, really, they parodied the Nation of Domination. We had characters such as The Croc, played by Triple H. We had Mitsark Henry, played by uh, X-Pac. Yes, it gets worse. D'Lo, played by The Road Dog. The Godfather, played by Billy Gunn, done up as a pimp. Slight, slightly more levity with Jason Sensation, giving us a fantastic Owen Hart impression. And China just stood in the background. <laughs> this was pretty heavy stuff. I only went on for about four minutes. I think if it had been any longer, it might have been really quite difficult to take. But they mocked the nation, mocked their catchphrases in gen genuinely generally fairly humorous fashion there was a bit where hunter was clearly taking the piss out of the stupidity of the people's elbow so there was some good stuff in it as i say jason's owen hart impression was utterly bang on and some rather harmless gags about him looking like a road sign but there is a very large elephant in the room and chris i'm going to come to you first because uh you saw all of this and all the aftermath did they go too far here? And I think you know what I mean when I bring that up. Yeah. Um, the 1920s have called and they want their idea of fun back. Blacking up. Um, yeah. It's not big nor clever. And this parody could have been done without it. You know, for what it is, it was funny. Don't get me wrong. 
Hunter being the rock and do you smell what the crock was cooking? Been to the bathroom, you know, Road Dog over exaggerating, Delo's head shaking, Mizark sort of making fun and you know, with the back going around, and obviously Jason Sensation is a legend for just how amazing that Owen Hart bang on that Owen Hart impression is. Blacking up in this day and age just really isn't isn't doable, isn't acceptable, and I get edgy, but there's sometimes it's just taking it too far. What were your thoughts, Adam? Um, I mean, yeah, bl- blacking up's not really, you know, the, the done thing for for obvious reasons, but it still was a lot less offensive than the horseman thing uh, that that happened recently. I'm very glad you mentioned that. I'll get to that in a second. Oh, your thoughts, Peter? Until Chris mentioned it there, you know, I didn't even think about that. Weird. I was so in the the whole comedy kind of aspect that I completely forgot that obviously X-Pac has decided to black up, for a better word of it, on, on the night. I mean, I took it for what it was in that sense, that it was just a complete parody, a basically a piss take of the nation. And I think they absolutely nailed it. I mean, Road Dog is D-Lo, back on the ropes, every other sentence shaking and doing that and jason sensation was a sensation wasn't he so i think it was it was really good it kept it you know these these two um warring factions i think it was a bit close to the bone though i think this is clearly another example of you know wwf's current kind of attitude around you know we'll do anything to get maybe a rating or you know cause a bit of controversy so i think it worked on that level but i think Going back to what Chris said, yeah, that's thinking about it now, it's a little bit. I suppose I didn't get any more uh, heat for it. Well, for me, there is a reason when if you go into any secondhand record shop these days, all the black and white minstrel albums are lined up on the shelf. They've been brought back and nobody's going to buy them again. It's 1998, folks. There's a reason for it. Just want to mention briefly, Adam touched on it there about the Four Horsemen promo last year. A lot of people are comparing the two. They're actually very different. The blackface thing here was horrible. I'm not going to pull, pull my punches into my words. It was horrible. But if you're going to impersonate the nation, what else are you going to do? And that is not to defend it in any way, shape, or form. Blackface 1998, no damn thank you. But I still did get the sense that this was a way of moving the feud on rather than just having them have yet another brawl between each other. I feel like I've seen it a million times already. And when we get to the pay-per-view, that happens once more. So this was an original way of doing that, whereas the Horseman parody back in September did feel just out-and-out mean-spirited. Everybody loved that moment with Arn Anderson and Kurt Hennig and Ric Flair at the end of August. Everybody did. Nobody deserved a send-off like that. Nobody but Arn Anderson, a man of that quality, deserved that kind of a send-off more. And yet, you have the horseman the week after, out and out mocking it. It wasn't about building a feud, it was about mocking what they had seen before, the week the week before. The only good thing about it was uh, uh, Six at the time, with his tear ducts flare crying, everything that always happens, that was quite funny. But when you got Nash there, openly making reference to Arn Anderson's uh, alcohol problems, which have never been aired on TV before. That's just cruel. This wasn't cruel. It was misguided, very misguided. And I think in the cold light of day, they might think, eh, we might not go there now. But I do 
get the reasons behind it. But I'm not sure that I would do it again. Rory, do you think Vince obviously agreed to that and maybe the nation weren't aware initially or do you think they were in on the whole the whole point? And how oh, I, I honestly think maybe I'm giving him too much credit. I honestly think that the nation would have known about this. Hmm. I don't think anybody in WWF was as edgy as things are getting, which we'll discuss a bit later on. I do not think any way, shape or form that the nation did not know this was occurring. I, I, well, again, this is not to defend it, but they might even have run the run it start to finish past them. I hope they did. I really hope they did. As you say, if they didn't, then I'm surprised that any of them are still walking because <laughs> they could have quite easily, you know, taken their pound of flesh for for it and taken it gone too far. So there must have been some agreement on it because you know that level could have quite easily sort of just riled people up. We've seen stuff in ECW where people have done worse for a lot less. And I guess also, to be fair, Jason Sensation returned, didn't he, a couple of weeks later as the only character that came back, if that makes sense, to go continue with, with Owen. So they didn't bring out X-Pac again, did they, as Mark Henry, or if they didn't do it anymore. It's just a one-shot deal. But obviously, Jason Sensation, because I think it went so well for him, Obviously, the interaction he got a chance to sort of gain some revenge after uh, being beaten up on uh, on Raw a couple of times, didn't he? So that was a good thing. Didn't, didn't repeat it, I suppose. Let's finish positively. Jason Sensation is uh, the clues in the name with that boy. That impression was dead eye, wasn't it? You close your eyes, as they say, and you could not hear the join. Fantastic! What, what, what a talent! This whatever role they keep him on as, just just do it. He's a he's a he's He's bloody good, is, is he not? So I don't know where he came from, but he's 20 and he's got that sort of level of comedy chops. Yes, it's a little bit niche comedy with it being wrestling comedy, but man, he's good at it. The trouble with it being so niche is, is, is there really any way he can go once once they sort of phase him out of, of this sort of angle? No, that's true. That's, that's a very good point. He can't just impersonate people forever. Uh, who really cares about Rory Bremner these days, you know? <laughs> you, it's the, the, it, that kind of thing does have a natural shelf life, but they might as well mine it while they can, in my opinion. Yes, we we pulled something positive from a segment which ugh, has uh, drawn a bit of ire, and I can certainly understand why. Week two's Raw opens up with Shawn Michaels coming out and is joining us for commentary for the evening. We see a match between Undertaker and Vader. Before the match starts, Kane and Mankind make their way out. Undertaker wins after a tombstone. During after the match, Mankind goes to hit Taker with a chair, only for Kane to grab it, and then to batter Vader with it. Bart Gunn beats Bob Holly in the Brawl for All, and kills the Midnight Express, and Jim Cornette leaves. We then get the nation's rebut on the DX parody. Owen comes out and beats down Jason Sensation. DX comes out and we have a mass brawl. We then get a really, really good TV match between Rock and Owen Hart versus Triple H and X-Puck. X-Puck and Triple H win after hitting the X-Factor. Sable comes out and joins us on commentary for the Mark Merrow black steve Blackman match. Blackman wins after hitting the pump kick. 
but there was more confrontation between Sable and Jacqueline. We see the New Age Outlaws going against Kane and Mankind for the tag team titles. Before the match can start, everyone comes down and brawls. Undertaker then comes out, and during the match, The Rock, Owen Hart come out, and Triple H and X-Pac brawl on the ramp. We see Kane and Mankind win the title after Kane hits the tombstone. D'Lo hits Lowdown, and as such we have new champs. Really, really good back and forth match. We see DX backstage asking Vince to reconsider the result of the tag team match because of the interference. We then see a six-man tag between Kai and Tai and too much with Takamichinoku. Kai and Tai win after Dane Togo hits a senton. After the match, out comes Val Venus to apologise and show his new movie, Land of the Rhining Venus. Following this, Vinnie Mac comes out and he's bringing out Taker. Vince says that Taker will do anything to become the WF champion. He's fooled everyone and wants to know if he's having help from Kane. Taker replies, if you want answers, you can go to hell. This brings out Austin. He wants to know where Taker is going into their tag team match. Taker says, go to hell to him. DX then come out wanting answers and they want to know if they're going to have a rematch. And they say that they will have Austin and Taker as enforcers. In the Brawl Fraud, we see Dan Severn beat the Godfather. Fans are really shitting over it by this point, shouting, we want wrestling. The main event of the evening sees the New Age Outlaws going against Kane and Mankind for the tag team titles once again. Obviously, this time with Austin and Taker as enforcers. A brawl to start. Billy smashes Mankind with his stairs. And hits some double teams on him too. Kane then beats down the Road Dog. Mankind in, but beats on the Road Dog. Kane hits a side slam and goes up top and hits a lariat. Mankind hits a swinging neck breaker and gets a two count. Billy in, and the ref gets crushed in the corner. Road Dog rolls up Austin. Or roll, hits a roll up. Austin comes in and counts a two, only for Undertaker to pull Austin out. Kane then choke slams. Taker comes in for the pin, but Austin grabs him and pulls him out, and they go face to face. We then get a mass brawl between Kane, Mankind, Taker, and Austin, The Nation, and DX as we go off the air. Week Freeze Raw opens up with Vince coming out, saying tonight's the night for reflection and respect. He asks what happened to Kane two weeks ago, and says that he and Taker are in cahoots. He then calls out The Undertaker. Vince says he's disappointed in Taker and he needs to start showing him the respect to proper people, in which he meets Vince. And he needs Vince. He asks if they're in cahoots again. Vince says he's going to teach him a lesson for his own good and announces that tonight Undertaker will face Kane and Mankind. He then tells Taker that he can go to hell. Taker choke slams him and his stooges. We have a European title match between D'Lo and Triple H. D'Lo wins and is the new European champion after The Rock hits the rock bottom during a match where Mark Hendry was distracting China. This is a really, really good TV match and very much worth a watch. 
Dr. Death beats Rebecca Pierre in the Brawl for All. Yamaguchi-san says his wife has disgraced him and says that she needs to be punished. And by such, she's going to paddle her in the Crawl of Shame. That is, until Val Venus comes out and makes a save. We see Skull versus Animal. Hawk is nowhere to be seen during the beginning of the match, thus leaving the DOA to double-team Animal. Hawk finally does come down to make the save until the numbers get too much of him, as Paul Ellering joins in too. We then get a match between Steve Blackman and Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett has Tennessee Lee and Southern Justice in tow, so Steve goes back and grabs Shamrock and Severum. Maybe the best trios team ever. Blackman wins after hitting the pump kick. Undertaker is seen leaving the building. This brings out Austin. Austin says that he wants to know if it's going to be 2 on 2 or 3 on 1 at Fully Loaded. He says that Vince deserves to be screwed. Vince comes out and says that he will replace Undertaker in the 2 on 1 match later tonight. Austin says that he won't do it. Vince says he will strip him of the title if he doesn't and leaves the match. We then see Owen versus Farouk. Owen wins with the Sharpshooter. A fairly decent TV match. Post-match, Ken Shamrock comes down and races Owen out of the building. We get more Jackie and Sable chatting shit. We see Edge run into the ring and hit the downward spiral on Mark Mero. Again, out comes HBK for more commentary. We then get an intercontinental title match between X-Pac and The Rock. The match opens with a mass brawl as the rest of the nation and DX are all in the ring and all are sent to the back. X-Pac gets the early advantage until The Rock hits a big clothesline and a stun gun and gets a two count. Slam into the railings for a two and then into a chin lock and then a Samoan drop gets a two. A neck breaker and then hits the people's elbow for a two. X-Puck then hits the X-Factor which gets a two. The Bronco Buster. The Rock hits a power bomb or power slam and gets a two. Pack sends Rock to the outside where China stalks him with the title belt and then hits the belt to his face. Back in the ring gets a two count. The Rock then clotheslines the ref. Pack hits a massive spinning heel kick. At this point, we see D'Lo and Triple H come from the outside. Hunter hits the pedigree on the rock for X-Pac to get the pin. But a second ref comes down and tells them what has happened. So the match gets thrown out and the rock wins by DQ. Post-match, the nation are all out and brawl with DX. Our main event of the evening is Stone Cold versus Kane and Mankind. Austin takes out Mankind with a belt early on and then brawls with Kane. The numbers then finally do become too much as Austin is beaten down. He gets the advantage again and beats down Kane quickly outside. Back into the ring, Mankind gets on the Madable Claw until Austin smashes him in the head into the ring post. Back into the ring, he hits a Lufez press on Kane. Mankind grabs Austin, but he goes for the stunner and Mankind manages to get his way up. Out comes The Undertaker with a chair. Austin then brawls with Mankind, and Paul Bearer hits Austin with his shoe. Mankind hits a chair shot, punches, and misses a corner knee. Stunner to Mankind. Kane tries to chokeslam Austin, but he low blows him. Taker then swings a chair at the same point as Austin is going for a stunner. The ch- 
chair hits Kane. Austin then grabs a chair, hits Mankind and Undertaker as we go off the air and lead into the pay-per-view. And out, out of our TVs, it's now time for our fully loaded pay-per-view. Mr. Lacey, do you have the results there before you? I do. So, we opened the show with Val Venus defeating Jeff Jarrett, who was joined by Tennessee Lee. D'Lo beat X-Puck. D'Lo had the Godfather in his corner and X-Puck had China. Farouk and Too Cold beat Justin Hawk Bradshaw and Terry Funk. Mark Henry defeated Vader. The Disciples of Apocalypse, Eight Ball and Skull, with Paul Ellering, defeated LOD2000. Owen Hart defeated Ken Shamrock in a dungeon match where Dan Severin was the special guest referee. Triple H and The Rock, who was adjoined with China, went to a time limit draw 1-1 in a two out of three falls match for the Intercontinental title. Sable defeated Jacqueline in a bikini contest in which Jerry Lawler was the master of ceremonies. And Stone Cold and The Undertaker defeated Kane and Mankind for the tag team titles in our main event. Thank you, sir. Adam, what did you think of this show? Ah, I think it was a bit misleading by calling it fully loaded. They're really... Yeah. I mean, most of the matches were fine, but nothing that really stood out. Nothing that really... um, If I hadn't have been doing it for the show would have made me think oh yeah I'm going to buy this show sort of see what happens it, it was very much just such a stopgap show between King of the Ring and SummerSlam Peter having watched obviously the, the first couple of rules and then the Raw afterwards this just seemed like you know an extra long edition of Raw it didn't really feel like a pay-per-view to me you go back to the King of the Ring when we had that you know that moment for the ages when you know mankind did did his thing, which will live in the memory forever. And then you come into this show, which is like the pre preamble to SummerSlam. I just, I mean, I think Jim Ross's comments about fully loaded being, you know, this amazing pay per view. Go out and buy it. I, I, I didn't get it at all. It wasn't, it wasn't for me. Jr. in shield mode. Some mistake, surely. And Chris, your <laughs> thoughts? Yeah, um, the fact that. This month, there was a lot better matches on TV, and some of these guys who are on the pay-per-view don't even turn up on TV. Says a lot about your pay-per-view. It is it is only helped by the fact there is three good matches on this show. If it wasn't, it would be probably one of the worst shows of the year. Uh, yep, I will save my full thoughts to the end, but I'll keep them brief now. Our first ever four for four on this podcast, so there we are. But now I'm going to talk you all through it, dear listener. Fully loaded 1998. The cold, or some might say a hot open, as King goes into Sable's dressing room for a preview of what she will be wearing in tonight's bikini contest. See changes from behind the curtain, and King runs away laughing hysterically. For some reason, I've got a winky face on my notes here. I'm not sure why. The usual, it must be said, tremendous video package starts us off. It does a brief but excellent job of spelling out the tension between all four competitors in the main event later. We're in Fresno, California today, and indeed JR and the slightly calmed down King are on the call. The unbeaten Valvinus takes the mic and says, California, here I come. Uh-huh. He comes very close to doing what HBK did in Fresno at Royal Rumble 96, but thankfully Tennessee Lee stops him. 
Sadly, though, he has both Southern Justice and Jeff Jarrett with him. So Kai and Tai, with Japanese flags, just to make sure we get it, come to ringside but get sent to the back. Yamaguchi-san joins us on commentary, though, and he calls him Hamburger King. This is highbrow stuff. So then we are off with Val Venus versus Jeff Jarrett. Go behind and a leg trip by Double J, followed by the stupid strut. Val then with a takedown of his own, and he gyrates over JJ. Shoulder block and a hip toss block until Val misses a body press. He does, though, hit a hot shot and then a roll-up, which sounded like it got three, actually, but it was only two. A bit of ground and pound, whilst Yam, as I've written down here, tells us Val is in big trouble tomorrow. Another pinning combination for two. They both block a pile driver and a sunset flip until Jeff hits a powerbomb. No, fair play. Chop battle, as some people might call it, sees Val go for an Uranagi, but Jarrett blocks. He then executes a Barry Windham 93 special DDT. Sleeper is reversed into a suplex by Jarrett, and now here is a belly-to-belly from Val. Double down. Got to protect the belly-to-belly suplex, people. And we are up at eight. Inverted atomic drop and a nice fisherman suplex for a two. Crossbody off the top by Jeff for a long two. Val with a savage neck snap, but the ref gets bumped. Val goes for the money shot, but he is crushed by Tennessee Lee. Superplex by Jeff, but he can't get the figure of four on. Val recovers and runs Jarrett into the apron, and is then able to secure a three count with an O'Connor roll. Val takes the mic and says Yamaguchi will never measure up to the big Val Boski. Peter. I thought this was a really good opener. I enjoyed it. I mean, uh, I was on the show last month, WCW with Canyon, and obviously he's got quite a, a good move set and is an up-and-coming kind of talent in WCW. Um, although he's lumbered with this Val Venus gimmick, he's actually, I think, pretty decent in the ring. And Jeff Jarrett seems to be on a little bit of form as well. So for a, a singles match, um, opener, I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. The ending, you know, the roll up was a bit of a disappointing way to for Venus to get the win with a miscommunication. I would like to see them get his, uh, dare I say, money shot in before we got the free. But I, I really enjoyed it. Potentially, probably one of the matches of the night. I think Chris mentioned there was probably three good ones. This was definitely one of them. So uh, a decent start. Yeah, very good. Was it one of them, Chris? No, I didn't like this. This was bloody boring. TV match that had no build, no reason to be, and we had to put up with Yamaguchi's awful commentary. Um, Val Venus is a character I quite like. You know, it's funny the whole porn star thing. But why is Jeff Jarrett still doing the same thing that he did in '95? It's it's not '95 anymore. Can we like get rid of this hacky? sort of second-rate Garth Brooks. Was it our boy Ahmed called him an achy, breaky heart wannabe? And that was back in 95. Ahmed Johnson, a soothsayer for the ages. So that's one plus, one negative. Adam, which way are you going on this one? Um, Worryingly, this is one of the ones I had more notes on for uh, when I was sort of sitting down watching it. Um, One of the things that instantly came up was, does anyone remember that shoot promo that Jarrett did when he sort of returned uh, at the end of last year. He sort of knocked uh, the WWF for some of the content they were producing, most notably Austin sort of, uh, with his Bible blasphemy. He called Austin blasphemous. Sort of... Yes, that's right. Um, when he came back in o- o- October the 6th, 97. Yep. Yeah, I'm just thinking how he feels now facing a porn star. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. Um... But no, I mean, a lot of my notes are like basically along the lines of you've got Val Venus here facing Jeff Jarrett for seemingly no reason when for 
the last few weeks on TV, it's all been him against Yamaguchi-san, and it's like, why is it not anything to do with Kai and Tai and Parkman Hota? Dear God, this isn't going to drag on till SummerSlam, is it? I hate to break this to you. Um, I'm going to be kind of Switzerland here and be sort of in the middle of all three. I thought this was fine for what it was. It was a decent match. I do like the in-ring work of this Sean Morley character. I'm not sure how long he can go <laughs> as Val Venus, but uh, it's something and it's certainly over. Jarrett... Well, the match was... I I thought the match was fine. I, yeah. I think Jarrett's a great talent. It's just he looks so ridiculous in that gear. We, we bag on Jarrett every single month, and I think justifiably so, but it's not as if he's complete chopped liver in the ring. There are far worse people in all three organizations than Jeff Jarrett. He just, you just can't help but hate him, and it's not heel heat. It just, just, just look at him, for God's sake. That strut and that hair and that flashing suit and those glasses and still doing the country singer thing after 400,000 years. I'm like, oh, it's a, it's a real drag on somebody who is a perfectly acceptable worker. And as such, these two had a fine mid-two-star match. No problems here whatsoever with, with the action we got. Again, with the way that WWF in-ring action is these days, this is probably the sleeper hit of the night. You lied on a good point there, Adam. You um, lied on a good point there when you mentioned that why Venus is facing Jarrett, though. If this almost felt like a sort of WrestleMania 5, SummerSlam 89 match in which the real feud is taking place on house shows, and yet when the big pay-per-view rolls around, it's two people who have no real issue with each other. But... Um, Especially when you've got people in Kainta who can really, really go. I mean, I reckon Venus v. Togo, Venus v. Teo. Even Venus versus Funaki, I think, could be pretty damn decent. Whether we'll get those over the next few weeks or not, I don't know. Uh, any more on this one, gents? Anybody? See, just sort of going back on Jeff a little bit, I think my issue with him isn't that he's bad. It's that he's boring, and I think being boring is worse than being bad. If he was just bad you know you can mock him for being shit the fact that he's boring just makes me not care i mean that's the worst thing about it but does that mean we're going to have yet another character change for him at some point none of the other ones have worked in any organization where else can he go though now what can he do shave his hair off and I don't know, complete well, character change. And... and lost those stupid straps. That'd be a good start. At least look... To be fair, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's just very hard to take seriously. I think that's the problem. He needs to get away also, from the southern, southern thing, isn't he? Is it just me or is Tennessee Lee like the worst manager they've got at the minute? Which is saying something considering how few managers they've got. But every Jace Jarrett pay-per-view match, he seems to try and interfere. It just ends up backfiring. Isn't that the reason Jarrett and Cornette went separate ways? That's a good shout. But any, any anything, even in 1998, WWF gets the kernel on my screen. I'm sorry. It's a good thing for me. I think we've talked long enough about this, don't you? Val Venus gets the win, and he's back feuding with Kai and Tai. More on that later, too. After footage of D'Lo surprising win over Triple H for the European title on Monday, he is in non-title action versus X-Pac. He's accompanied by The Godfather, complete with cigar. He's an influential man, that Billy Gunn. X-Pac versus D'Lo Brown, then. D'Lo takes early control to the sound of D'Lo sucks chance. The commentary team debate whether or not his chest protector is actually a weapon, as X-Pac hits, X -Pac hits a lovely diving hip toss, followed by a spin kick. 
Dilo with a diving takedown of his own, and he scores a two. Spin kick is blocked, but a scissor kick hits. Big closed on by Brown, gets a two. He holds on a headlock as a China chant goes up. X-Pac gets up, but he gets hurled to the buckle, and hard. Snap my own leg drop, won't get it done. Dilo then actually calls a spot on camera, which turns out to be X-Pac blocking a corner buckle charge. He can't get much offense here as Dilo grinds on a reverse chin lock, as JR says that he is actually a qualified accountant. Dilo, that is, not JR. He sees the end and goes for a mega moonsault, but he misses. Spinning a heel kick by Dilo, and then Pac rides him in the corner. <laughs> i just write these things down. He sends his victory, but he gets slugged on the apron by Godfather whilst the rep is distracted by China. Dilo then hits a great sit-up powerbomb by the name of the Sky High and gets the win. Adam? Um, right. I've... One note I have for this is in the episode of Raw, just before the pay for you, Xbox competed for the IT title and didn't get the belt. Is the Euro title being used as a consolation prize? I think so. I've, I've, it's, it's the lowest belt on the wrong, definitely. Yeah, but it, but they're just accentuating that by having the guy who didn't get the IC belt getting a shot at the champion, not necessarily the belt, but the champion on the next show. It's yep. At least they could, you know, keep up the illusion that it had some level of credibility to it. I think everybody knows that the European title really is just a prop. I mean, ultimately, it, it existed for what? For Bulldog to have something to do in Germany last year, and yet it's still hanging on a year and a half on. I really don't see the point in it, to be honest with you. Hmm. Actually, when uh, Triple H lost it last week, uh, the week before this pay per view, that sort of, I found it really strange how he seemed really upset about it when I, was, when I remember the match that he originally won it in. The sham match in December, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, Your brief thoughts yeah, on this does, does having a non-title uh, does having a non-title match on pay-per-view negatively affect the people involved in the match do you think I think it really does well, why don't make this a title match you know, did they use the old again I'll mention it again the old SummerSlam 89 rule here saying it, the match was signed before D'Lo or the Brainbusters won the title you know just, just make it a title match at least pretend it's important you know it's a shame. So actually, I do like that uh, Brainbusters match you're referring to. That's one of my favourite matches. It's a goodie. And any more on this particular match we got? The action? I mean, the action's fine. I th uh, Xbox really, considering the considering how bad his neck injury was, he seems to be sort of getting. He seems to have got back into the in ring aspect quite quite well. He's, you know. He, he doesn't really, he's not really showing any sort of signs of ring rust. And especially the match he had with Rock just before this, he's really, he was really taking some nasty shots in that match. So, well, he, he seems quite confident in what he's going to do. I don't know how long he can keep going at this pace, considering he's just come back from a broken neck. But for now, he's, he's good. And I actually, could, I think I could watch the, uh, these two actually have more matches, um, considering, you know, they're essentially the lowest tier of. The nation and the DX group. I th I think they could have some some more great matches together, especially if they actually put the title on the line. It might actually make the damn thing mean something. There's something in that, I think, Peter. Yeah, echo the comments there. I mean, why wasn't it a title match? What's all that about? And Dilo is obviously not a fighting champion, but he's happy to take uh, um, a pay per view match with this 
feud with the nation i'm sorry with uh, dx um i think these two have got a little bit of chemistry i think they could this could obviously uh, garner a few more matches maybe for the title moving forward but it just felt a bit like a, a raw match to me because this has been going on for quite a while now these interchangeable matches some for titles some for not with these two groups and you know there's gonna be some interference on the way with china being there and the godfather obviously was there doing his doing his thing so you're just waiting for it to happen and it did um i thought when Dilo won the title he looked like you know he'd won the world title so for him i think in his character this is a huge deal but unfortunately it's playing out a bit differently probably for everybody else and maybe for ourselves as well but um yeah i quite like both of the these guys um it was decent enough. I think they, I, I was a bit gutted we missed the uh, the Bronco Buster in the corner though, because I think uh, there was a slight uh, double feature. I, think I, I made a note that they switched to a replay or something else while X Pac was doing his uh, his thing in the corner. I think, which I was a little bit disappointed about. So it's obviously a highly popular move. Um, but no, it was okay. I think surprise it was another singles match after the last singles match to begin the pay per view. Usually, you know, mix it up a little bit at the beginning of the of the show, but. Yeah, it, it was okay, but it was a bit bit raw fodder for me. Hi, Christopher. See, I really, really like this. Um, these two seem to have a really good chemistry. Uh, I like the use of the outside companions. I like how China got involved, like Godfather got involved. The fact of, I don't think this needed to have a title on it. Yes, I get that, you know, he's a champion. He should defend it at all times. In that case, why isn't every match that every champion has on tv a title match you know it's yes it's sort of it's a pay-per-view it's a big event it should be it doesn't really make that much to it um i i think you can get a decent series out of these two that can go on for the next few months over the summer and it keeps these two busy and they can feud over the uh, the european title and actually if they can make it mean something because let's face it, it's going to be better higher than that lightweight championship. Because when does that ever get seen anymore? So, you know, you say it's the lowest rung title, it's not there. So, yeah, it's one of those if I'd quite happily have these two carry on. And I could probably see these two going at it again at SummerSlam as well. I'd be okay with that. I had actually forgotten the light heavyweight title, which would tell you all you need to know. There you go. I didn't even know the thing existed. Is has Tucker still got the damn thing? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He last defended it against Funaki on the first of June. That episode of War, according to yes. my notes. <laughs> uh, this this man does the business, I'll tell you. Not, not much to get past this uh, this fella. Yeah, um, not much to add on this match. It was fine. I'd say it was probably just ever so slightly above Raw fodder, mainly because so many Raw matches are so. Over and done in two two minutes thirty seconds these days. Anyway, I like to see these two go up for fifteen minutes. I think they're both capable of it. The fact that D'Lo won suggests they might have that in the future, and uh, let's sit tight and wait for it. Nothing to write home about, but certainly nothing to hate either. We see Edge in the crowd, and that's it. Why do I think they don't really know what they want to do with this guy just yet? Backstage, we have the breaking story that Undertaker has not yet arrived at the dressing room. The Tom Pritchard reckons he will turn up though. So that's all right then. Scorpio and Farouk are in the ring for their tag team match. JR interviews their opponents backstage. And during this, Terry Funk tells us that the contest will be his last for a while. Six months, apparently. This is clearly news 
sorry, this is clearly news to Bradshaw, who does not receive it with equanimity. They've been teaming up for a week. Why would Bradshaw care so much? Anyway, here we go. Farouk and Scorpio versus Terry Funk and Bradshaw. Scorpio and Bradshaw start us off. They are both qualified in the brawl for all. I did not need reminding of that, JR. Chops by Bradshaw, but Funk is up with a nice Rana. Farouk tagged in and he clubs away tediously. Whipped by Bradshaw and then a top rope shoulder block for a two. Terry gets tagged in and hits punches the only way he can. A hangman neckbreaker, as your correspondent here, starts to get just a little bit emotional. Backbreaker by Farouk for two. Bradshaw just kicks Farouk down as the crowd aren't really feeling this. That's Terry Funk in there, you idiots. Bradshaw comes off the top again, but is caught into a power slam by Farouk. Scorpio goes for a moonsault, but Terry shakes the ropes. Another superplex today is not good for anything more than a two. Scorpio fights a powerbomb attempt, but Bradshaw, does, but Bradshaw does go on to hit it for another near fall. The Funks, as I call them, fight outside and into the crowd. Bizarre spot in which Terry preps for an Asai moonsault, but instead just horizontally drops onto Scorpio. Back in, a slightly more conventional splash by Too Cold scores two. Then a boring chant goes up, and JR and King actually acknowledge it. Big 450 by Scorpio shuts them up, and that gets the quick win. Bradshaw is hot, and he gives Terry a dressing down, and then a slapping down. Scorpio comes back to try and help, but he gets booted to the ground too. He also whacks Farouk with a chair. Peter. Oh, blimey. Thanks for coming to me first on this one. Um, it wasn't quite the three birds, one Eric, was it? Let's be honest about it in terms of a, of a tag team match. And I think the, the weird storyline to introduce straight away that this was potentially Terry Funk's last match. And as you say, Bradshaw's newly teamed and obviously he's looking to you know, learn and you know, be... Funk and mentor Bradshaw maybe because Funk's obviously a, a massive, you know, a veteran, but a you know a big star and has done so much. I think that's why you have those comments you had while we're drawing it. You know, there's a few tears running down the cheeks as, as he's uh, as he's wrestling. But I think we all knew what was going to happen once that was announced. And uh, uh, is this a little sort of mini push for for Bradshaw? Is there anything I can think that comes out of it? What that means, I don't know. Um, I always like the uh, the 450 splash. That's a great. A great move and a great way to end, and uh, it should end any match in that sense. Um, but Farouk's obviously dropped off a cliff, bless him, from his nation days. Um, and it was just a bit of a it was a nothing, it was no, as I say, I think Chris mentioned there was been no build to any of these these matches. This was just put together with a little mini storyline at the beginning, which played out immediately. So they could have teased something maybe and then move it on to Raw and then maybe give it a month-long storyline for Funk again to have his kind of, you know, retirement uh, tour he used to have, or you know, in the past. Was it 1983, I think he first retired, Terry Funk? Is that right? That's when he retired. Forever! That's right, Forever. yes. So, uh, Forever. We're now in 1998. Forever. I just think it was a bit, you know, it, did, it didn't it, anything for Terry Funk, did it? Terry Funk just, you know, got beaten up by Bradshaw at the end and slapped about a bit. I thought it was a bit bit harsh on him but the match was was a nothing it was quite short which was good um yeah it was one 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 you could easily miss chris terry funk never really sticks around in one place for long does he no um he will probably end up turning up in ecw in the next couple of months knowing funk in his retirements though this match clash of the champions 20s calling it wants its match back why are we getting Ron Simmons and Too Cold 
teaming up together, going against Funk and generic Blackjack knockoff in 1998. This this just seemed really, really pointless. Um, and I, and as we said, there's literally no build to this. The only time you see any of these people, you see Bradshaw and you see Two Golden Brawl for all, and that's it on TV this month. I, I don't get why any rhyme or reason for this. But, you know, at least Two Cold was in it, and he did Two Cold stuff. You saw my SummerSlam 89 and raised me a Clash of the Champions 20. Well played, that man. Adam. Oh, um, you know, I've not watched Shotgun Saturday Night um, in the last few months. I think so you're in pretty, pretty good and plentiful company on that one. Well, the point is, I have no idea what this is about. It's, I take it, um, Farouk and Scorpio, they, they were said to be undefeated. I'm guessing it's on Shotgun Saturday night because the only appearance Farouk has made on Raw was last week, and that was in a singles. Yes. Um, and the only appearance I've seen Bradshaw make is that um, horrendous brawl for all he was in. And I was like, I just, this match just seemed to be just sort of thrown together. Um, I mean, also, a Bradshaw heel turn. Is anyone, is there, is that actually going to go anywhere? I, especially just considering it came out of nowhere because, like I said, they've not been featured on the flagship show this month at all, essentially. It's one of those things where, in a way, we have to give them credit for making their whatever letter show Shotgun Saturday Night is. We'll call it a B show for now, but that's probably even now being generous, making it seem important enough to have a feud end up on the pay-per-view but if nobody's watched it to care then it's just a complete fool's errand and i had no idea that farouk and scorpio were a team i had no idea there was any tensions between terry funk and bradshaw i had no idea why they should have tensions i've seen them team up once before and the crowd really went into it either thought it's going to be terry funk's last match i think the crowd went into it because they don't watch it either i think that's part of where the boring chance because they've not had a chance to connect with these people because they've not been on the main show Exactly. And it was, they have nothing to, for the storyline they were trying to tell us here. Nobody had any reason to latch onto it. It hasn't been told. It hasn't been developed. And we're here that Farouk and Scorpio are now some sort of wonder team and Funk and Bradshaw, a teacher and apprentice or whatever, and now the apprentice getting pissed off. That it, it, we're having to fill in too many gaps for this story and the crowd just didn't have the patience to do it. And I can't say I blame them. The fact the match was very, very sloppy mess. Nobody here had any real chemistry going. Farouk looks awful. Scorpio had one of his off days. Bradshaw tries. I think he shoots above his own ability sometimes. And a couple of months ago, he bust out a tiger suplex. And here he's doing big shoulder blocks off the top rope and huge power bombs. He's got the effort, but I still don't really trust him in the ring. Terry Funk is somebody who is completely above criticism for me. Accuse me of bias. If you will, you will be correct, but he is the greatest pro wrestler of all time. And we'll see you again in two years, Terry, my friend. Next up is our battle of the bulls between Vader and Mark Henry. The crowd are actually into the Rocky Mountain Monster, which is a pleasant surprise. Henry hits a slam instantly and follows up with a plodding elbow. A push, not a shoulder charge, a push by Henry, and then a kick and then a clopping blow for a two. Jumping elbow as JR calls Henry athletic. Leg drop for two. 
Sunset flipper attempt, but Vader hits back with a sit-down splash. Hey, he beat Razor with that one. And a standard splash for two. Nice clothesline, and now we are outside. Whip to the steps. We just amble back in, and then some weak punches are thrown. Vader should not do weak punches. He goes up for the second rope splash. Mark kicks out, of course, but JR is shocked for some reason. Power slam by Henry, and then a standing splash gets the win. Well, that was a thing that happened. Poor Vader. Poor, poor Vader, Chris. What the fuck happened to Vader from New Japan and WCW when he used to bet the shit out of people? You know, I I tracked down Japanese tapes to watch him and Hansen beat 10 bells of shit out of each other. Watching him batter Cactus Jack in early 90s WCW. Where's he gone? This was sloppy, boring, ploddy, and just a waste of arguably one of the greatest big men in wrestling. And he's here having this shite for 10 minutes. Jumping to a standing splash, of all things. <laughs> just, I've, I, I don't know whether but it would be easier for Vader just to leave now. I don't know, maybe go back to Japan. But even turn up in ECW, I think he'd do more there because this, this isn't good for him. It's killing the legacy that he's built with all those years in WCW and New Japan. Adam, we've had the occasional flash over the last two and a half years, but we've never really seen Vader in a WWF, have we? No. Oh, this match. It took me a couple of minutes to really clock what I disliked about it. But it was after Henry went up, took two attempts to body slam Vader, it finally sort of clicks in. If you watch every time Mark Henry's on offense, Vader is just kind of standing there and waiting for him to do something. If you watch watch the match back, you'll see what I mean. Now, there's no tend to fight from Vader until he gets on offense about halfway through the match. And I don't know if it's a case of Vader's not trying or just Henry's just not really putting anything into it, but this but yeah, this match just showed the worst of both of these. I mean Vader Vader's as a character, I think was killed in, killed by Kane back in May, and this is not the match to try and bring him back to life. But yeah, this just again and again, it's a pay per view match with, with no build. I mean, do we, do we need Mark Henry in a singles match? I I think my point about how the fact he couldn't he couldn't transition anything when he was on offense, just makes me think this guy's not ready for a singles match. I mean, it's a step up from his debut against um, Jerry Lawler, but that was, but that's not saying much, is it? It is not. He's been here two years and has shown negligible signs of improvement at best. Uh, Peter, anything more to add to our size about this one? Well, yeah, it's a desperate, desperate conversation, isn't it? Bless him. I mean, I've been speaking about Bret Hart for the past two months on the WCW show, and it's just the word sad. This is just desperation. I mean, Vader must be on a very good contract because the only reason he must be hanging about is to get his paycheck because to lose to 
I think I wrote down here the big fat splash of death because it was like, you know, it was, you know, uh, a softer version of the one that he delivered and got a two count on. What What is what is all that about? This is a guy who's, I think, he's been a big man and dominated people and he's hurt people. He's been really, you know, you, you go in the ring with Vader, you're in a match, you know, you know you've been in a match, but... I mean, but then again, the other side, I was thinking about, I was listening to you guys talking there, is it also a reflection of Vader now that he couldn't get anything out of Mark Henry? I know Mark Henry is an absolute busted flush, and I don't know why he still wears his singlet and comes to the ring most times, but the fact that Vader maybe couldn't get anything out of him, does that tell a tell story as well? But I'm not trying to have a go at, uh, at Leon, bless him, but... I just feel I think he's going absolutely nowhere and it's a real shame because, you know, this guy has, has dominated everywhere else he's been, but for some reason I mean the guy's in shape as well, he's in better shape than Mark Henry. You know, and Mark Henry's a dance like younger than, than Vader and has got a lot more uh, you know, ring years behind him Vader, so he should be looking a bit, you know, essentially at the back end of his career. But he looked better in that sense, but it's just not the booking team or Vince or whoever just not on Vader's side. Now, maybe all these years of just nothing has, has gone against him, but no, uh, desperate, absolutely desperate. Thank God it's only five minutes to, to get out of the ring quick as they could, I suppose. Yeah, Vader and the boss in 94, this was not. And I think you're right there, Peter. In 94, Vader could have done something with uh, Henry here, but he just doesn't want to. He is completely and very visibly finished. He does not want to be there anymore, and I think he should just get out while he can. Just seeing somebody like Vader reduced to barely even job to the stars level these days, it's very, very sad sight mm-hmm. to see. He just There have been moments, there have been hints. There was the Rumble 96, there was the Attack of Monsoon the day after. There was the build-up to SummerSlam 96. Some of his face turn stuff in the summer of 97, but... It's scraps with Vader, isn't it? It just never happened. And he will go down as one of the biggest disappointments in WWF history, I think. Not all of it his fault. He met some uh, obstreperous people along the way, let's say that. So if I was him, I'd get out while he still can. Mark Henry, go away. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I asked nicely. Kane and Mankind are out early. Paul Baron knows what Undertaker doesn't want to fight tonight. He is trying to save himself for SummerSlam. Austin is therefore in the wrong place at the wrong time. Of all people, the New Age Outlaws interrupt proceedings. Road Dog calls for three in the ring. Gomez, Morticia and Cousin It and challenges the champs to a match tomorrow night on Raw. No answer, so the Outlaws, the outlaws try to beat one out of them. The officials and Slaughter get their standard airtime and you know JR likes this one as he gets the drop. Chaotic situation. Oh man, our next match is the DOA led to the ring on bikes by Mr. Dotcom, Paul Ellering versus the Legion of Doom. Did I tell you I do this thing for free? Skull and 8-Ball do stupid Skull and 8-Ball things, whilst the stupid fans cheer for the stupid LOD. Hawk with a double clothesline, and he doesn't even follow through on the move. Animal with an actual dropkick, which I cannot call awful, as much as I would like to. Some wags try to get a We Want Flare chant started, as LOD hits a weak double elbow. Hawk misses a charge and falls to the outside, and Ellering gets some shots in on him. This goes on for a while, or at least it feels like it does. And a long chin lock doesn't improve my mood any. Hawk gets tripped. Well, I have to amuse myself somehow. This is as cold as a heat segment can ever get, or at least I hope it is. If anybody could prove me wrong on that, it's these four goons. No, Rory, don't give them ideas. 
Hot tag, it says here, and Animal does the usual. Doomsday devastation device for a pin, but the other DOA Waller breaks it up. Ellering on the apron. Distraction. DDT by the other other DOA Waller. Three counts. World. How could you do this to me? Adam, please make this brief. Um, something I've noticed over the last few months, I think... Uh, I think the WWF. I'm getting feedback from the wood. It's really throwing me off. Let's start that one again. Something I've noticed over the last few months is uh, the WWF tearing their their talent when it comes to the pay per views. There are people who you will see on B level pay per views, not on and not on like uh, the Big Four, um, King of the Ring, WrestleMania, Survivor Series, and SummerSlam. It's his theory on working. I mean, obviously Royal Rumble, you got to have some jobbers in there uh, for someone to eliminate. And I think it's this match that sort of made me notice that by the fact they opened up over the edge but weren't on King of the Ring, and yet here they are. And I feel my point is going to be proven if they don't make it onto the SummerSlam card. But you sort of look at, but there are a lot of jobber guys who are filling these B shows and they just aren't making the other shows. This is really my way of saying I, want, I don't want to talk about this match. I mean, <laughs> it was another. <laughs> Yeah, it's another pointless. It's another pointless brawl, that, and the crowd are probably. And it's harder for the crowd to get into, you know, these bad brawls when we're seeing people actually brawling in that stupid brawl for all tournament. So yeah, I mean, this is just a, another nothing match that no that I really couldn't care less about. Um, like I said, I doubt these guys will be on SummerSlam because the Fed seemingly look at them as B-show uh, talent only. The, I see this I see this feud keeping going anyway because um, we can't have nice things in this world. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this match. You can stay, sir. You can stay. <laughs> Add anything to that if you can. <laughs> um, I just started to write down things more amusing watching the match. Like old 2000 versus DOA was my... Uh, Initial thought rather than LOD. Cube a slow uh, hand claps, everybody. Thank you very much. Um, Hawk on uh, selling was a, a fossil in peril. I was thinking of uh, <laughs> thinking of that scenario. Um, yeah, I mean, again, this is you know, the Legion of doing the Road Warriors, uh, you know, a, a, a tag team, the first tag team to win the Triple Crown, weren't they? And but in the WWF, even at the beginning, what, 1990? I don't think Vince really ever let them be... The Road Warriors or the Legion of Doom—they never really dominated um, at all, and and it's never been the case. And now you look at, and obviously we've got on a number of years now, which is obviously partly the issue as well. But their act hasn't changed. Why should it? I suppose what's got them to the to the dance and got their their money in the bank. But now it's catching up so badly, and we've now got this. Obviously, forget about this match. You've now got the Hawk, who's this drunk or whatever he may be on Raw as well recently. The one, I think it's the one after Fully Loaded. I think he did the, the match where he was a little bit inebriated, should I say. Uh, oh, letting that, down that animal. He was stoned out of his mind. Look at his yeah. eyes. He, he's, there's some problems there, which I think is what's causing an issue as well. But this was, I mean, DOA are absolutely dire. I mean, I won't waste any more time. It was an absolute dud. So you've got LOD, DOA, dud. D-U-D. Go on, Chris, bring it home. Well, what can we say? 1988, once it's uh, 
gimmicks and matches back. We've had five matches so far on this pay-per-view. And all but one of them would have fit in early years of Crockett and NWA. And that's not a good thing. This is meant to be 1998. You look at what's happening in WCW with the Cruiserweights. You look at what's happening in ECW. What the fuck is this shit, Vince? Seriously? The fucking comedy shit from the early 90s was better than some of this. And we're done. Next thing. Do you want Wahoo McDaniel to turn up, Chris? Oh, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's where I thought this one was going. Yeah, absolutely nothing to add to this. Just truly terrible. But DOA, with no clues in the name, LOD, Peter's already beating me to that one, and Mr.com Paul Ellering. (laughs) Is he the person you really want to see pop up on your screen when you put the CompuServe 30-day trial CD-ROM in? I don't think it is. Bring back Rocco. Oh, my God. We've been running the gamut today. (laughs) The old ones were the best, were they not? Speaking of which, Vinny and Cronies walked to the ring. He actually waits for the steel steps to be replaced before getting in, which is probably a shoot. He is upset at the possibility of The Undertaker not performing tonight. In the unlikely event he pulls a no-show, don't blame Vince McMahon. He, of course, points the middle finger of blame at Austin for absolutely everything. He draws our attention to an insert in the programme for tonight's event. The promoter reserves the right to make a shootable substitution. Vince introduces him right now. It is the Brooklyn Brawler, and I'm not going to complete that joke. We go to the Hart family dungeon for a fascinating encounter between Owen Hart and Ken Shamrock, and this really was shot in the dungeon. Sadly, we don't get clips of Stu Hart going <laughs> throughout. Uh, I should add, this one was clearly not sh- uh, clearly not shot live. Lots of camera cuts, lots of convenient close-ups. Dan Seven is the ref, and we have submission rules. Owen with a takedown, but Shamrock covers up. He manages to get some shots in, and then a huge leg takedown and a lock. He holds Owen back first into the wall, but Hart hits back with a spin kick and more shots. It's Ken's turn to eat the balsa wood, and then a choice German suplex by Owen. They rumble on the floor, and Ken with some hard shots. Whip to the wall, but then Owen executes a runner by holding onto a water pipe on the roof. Shamrock slings Hart into the weights in the corner of the room. He sits in the corner, then kicks the crap out of him. Ken goes for the pipe rana, but Owen is wise to it with a powerbomb. He then tosses Ken up and into it. He lifts his head up through the ceiling. He clamps on a sharpshooter as Seven asks if Ken wants to give it up, but no Shamrock reverses to an ankle lock. Up with hard clotheslines, but Seven catches a blow. Owen takes advantage and he whacks him with a dumbbell. He clamps on a neck vice and he makes Shamrock tap out by moving his arm up and down. And when Seven comes to, he buys that as a submission. Owen did it all by himself. Chris, I like this. I like this a lot. But when you've got the brawl for all going on, which all of us universally despise, does this kind of quote-unquote realistic shoot match lose a bit of luster? I think this is helped by the fact that it's not in a ring. The fact that these two are fighting in a basement, you know, we, we all know the infamous stories of the Heart Dungeon and hearing people screaming with pain as the heart kids eat their breakfast. So to finally see it and to sort of see the sort of thing that could happen in there and knowing what we know, 
it was it was nice it was fun watching these two actually scrap shows that you know when they want to do shoot fighting they can do it in a way that looks realistic yet these two probably haven't really hurt each other yet it looked more like a real scrap than the shit in the brawl for all and Severin, I thought he would have been much better as an official and sort of, you know, more efficient on that, checking that, tapping out, than just going, yeah, it looks like it. Story checks out. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know where we go with this, though. This is the one thing, because this clearly can't be the end of the, the feud, because obviously we see that they get uh, into a confrontation on the Raw the next night. But where do you go after a fight in a basement where you've hit someone with a dumbbell? You can't just now have a regular wrestling match. I do wonder. Um, it's the same because I'd love to see a proper regular wrestling match between these two, but I don't think that's where we're going next. <sighs> if this was Owen's own rules. Maybe we have. I don't know. I don't really want to see. A, well, we, we're seeing UFC-style fights every week now, unfortunately, so... Maybe that's not where you really go with this, but have they backed themselves into a corner or into a wall, I should say? What do we reckon, Peter? This was a welcome change, wasn't it, to what we'd already seen before. Um, shame we didn't tape it, obviously, of an evening, so actually built in that it may have been potentially live. It would have been you know, far more, uh, um, I guess, kept in, in, in view with the, with the show. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I think it, it was that close to being real fight a ufc fight there was a few instances there i think shamrock probably had to hold himself back a bit because i think he wanted to go didn't he and potentially i think he could have really done some damage to, to owen owen's handy enough i think having you know spent most of his life in that dungeon blessing probably screaming in pain or make other people tap out but for me seven was the just i mean the guy is like a cardboard box isn't he just standing there his expression doesn't move um, he took a, a, a nice kick in the face. And as you say, someone's being tapped out using their own hand to tap out, and he can't see that. It did take away a little bit of the all the hard work these guys had put in. It was it was brutal at times. And to get that kind of finish was a bit, you know, I think it, it, it was a bit of a slap in the face for the pair of them. Because I think you compare the previous five matches we've just, we've just gone through to this one. This was, what, about five minutes, was it? Five and a half, six minutes? It was less it was, than five minutes. It, it was all out. Just we're going for it because obviously there's no ring, so they have to, you know, in close close quarters. But this would have probably fitted into a UFC uh, octagon quite happily, I think, and been something interesting in that sense. But in a wrestling world, you're right. Where does this now move? Because you know they can have a a wrestling match but it won't be anything like this but there was some great spots you know through the through the ceiling i thought it was hilarious it was brilliant um and i really liked it i really enjoyed it it was a it was a, a welcome break from pretty much the dross we've seen thus far so yeah it was quite quite refreshing in that sense what do you reckon adam um yeah i liked it they the lighting down there actually um i don't know if it was i don't know if they used different camera setup but the lighting down there definitely sort of gave it more of a gritty feel than um so which made it stand out from the rest of the brightly lit um arena footage that you know was the rest of the pay-per-view uh i just thinking did 
has, has there been a lot of build for this other than some disputes over who's the real king ring at the start of the month? Owen mostly seems to have been tied up with the DX stuff. Uh, have I missed something in my notes? No, no. It's not really feuded, feuded with Shamrock, really. Chris? No, from it's TV, shame. it just seems that obviously Owen's more in the whole nation thing, but then they just run into each other in like the week before, and then we get told they're having a dungeon match. Mm. It's a shame that they didn't really sort of build up this feud better because this does seem like there doesn't seem to be the intensity to justify this match yet. You'd think that they'd started off a, a, a regular, well, they had the triple threat, so that would count as a regular match. But yeah, they didn't really seem to go very far from there until the run in on Raw the week before. It's Which is a shame because the match, the match itself was actually sort of fairly well put together, you know. Certainly certainly more entertaining than some of the real fights I've had in there. Been having in the Brawl for all. It all brawl comes back brawl. to the Brawl for all. Everybody hates the Brawl. Well, I, I, think, I think we should congratulate the Brawl for all. It's changed the meaning of the letters WWF. No longer stands for World Wrestling Fan. Well, uh, World Wrestling Federation. It now stands for well, wrestlers. Fuck. <laughs> well, the fact is, you watch the Brawl for all. You see some of these guys try and fight in that, and you sort of think, well, how can I take any of these guys seriously? You had Savio Vega, who you've been trying to push. <laughs> um, as like a historical street fighter for three years, and I'm, I'm choosing Savio because obviously Mr. Bamba has Ooh. a soft spot for him. Don't diss the Savio, absolutely. But yeah, but, but yeah, you, it's the case of this is that brawl for all match is the only time I've seen that fire of you know a sort of hardcore street fighter. Despite the fact for three years that's what we've been told he is, and it's a case of oh, but how am I going to take any of his matches after that seriously? But I'm talking about the match we're supposed to be talking about. It was a great match. I do hope it sort of goes somewhere. And I hope there's... But I hope it's just not a case of having a match at SummerSlam with one week build. I hope they actually do uh, keep going throughout the month with this one. Uh, these two are capable of a lot more. This did feel like we've jumped ahead a couple of spots in the story, didn't it? I think it was just the right length as well, at almost dead on five minutes. In this situation, as this is the first match in the feud, a very different first match, you know, leave them wanting more and think about it. If they had tried to make this one a regular length, seeing them Irish whip each other into the walls over and over again would have got a little bit old. But they packed a ton into the five minutes and great resourcefulness. I thought the use of the pipes was fantastic. I mean, going through the ceiling, that could have been really hokey, but it felt like I'm going to do everything I can to beat you. Yes, the ending was cheap, but in WWF land, heels always win cheaply. And I thought this was a fine piece of business, which has been maligned pretty much across the board. But what do the dirt sheet writers know anyway? Well, they give us our news every month, but you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, Triple H versus Rocky Maivia. Two out of three falls for the IC title. Sit tight, everybody. Slaughter sends both teams to the back, and here we go. Slugfest to start, and neither man is able to secure an early advantage from it. Rock, though, gets a knockdown as the champ strikes up. They're already going at a noticeably slow pace here. Punches by Triple H, and then China hits Rocky with him laying on the ropes. Early pedigree attempt is easily reversed, but Hunter can chuck him over the top rope. Light brawling in the aisle for a bit, and then we head back to the apron. I concern myself with the possible onset of RSI, as I once again type the dread words, Irish whip to the steps. 
back in with a whip and a clothesline for two, and I get the sense they're already struggling a little out there. A nerve hold by Rocky does nothing to dissuade me from that view. HHH up with a suplex, and the knee that always misses for two. Big chops by Helmsley, but Rocky reverses, and Helmsley takes a tumble over the buckles from a whip. Suplex on the mats by Rocky. He goes back in, allowing Mark Henry to toddle down, right on the 10-minute mark, incidentally, and hit HHH with that splash again. Billy then turns up and sees him off. Back in the ring, The Rock uses a China distraction to hit Hunter with the IC belt, but it is only good for a two. Swinging neck break gets the same result. Chin lock is slapped on and neither guy looks in great condition at this point. Helmsley up, but he's wiped out for a clothesline and there's another two. Outside once more and Rock chokes Triple H with an electrical cord. Rock hits that spinning DDT thing on the second try, but still two counts only. Another long chin lock and this is becoming a bit of a worry now. Again, Helmsley's up and there's the high knee. Hot shot by Rocky and here comes Godfather, but the NAO block him off. Rock distracts the official over his arm brace, allowing D'Lo to interfere, but Helmsley sees him coming. He nails him with the European belt, but then walks right into the rock bottom for the first fall at last. That was 21 minutes worth. Second fall. Rock goes for the kill on the outside with a slingshot into the Spanish announce table. In with a slam, and now he teases the people's elbow. It doesn't get a three, though, because it's bloody stupid. Up again, and a close line by Helmsley leads to both men being down. Delo finally comes to, but China cuts him off and beats him up with the aid of the guardrail. And now here is X-Pack to hit an X-Factor with the ref distracted. Delayed cover, though, and it gets a close two, but no more. Helmsley brings a chair in, but Rock nabs it. He swings for Triple H, but belts the ref instead. Low blow by China, and then a DDT to my via on the chair. Triple H crawls over for the cover and the ref is able to make the count a bit quickly after a chair shot and we are tied up at 1-1. After the rest period, Helmsley goes for the pin instantly but the ref was being attended to by other officials. Oh, Hebdenel comes in but Rocky is able to kick out. Hunter is all over my via but he can't put him away. Clothesline for two with one minute left. Desperation Samoan drop by the Rock scores him a two but it crucially also eats up some time. Slugfest in the middle of the ring. Rock Bottom is blocked into the pedigree, but Hebner won't count as the time limit has expired. Note that the bell didn't actually ring for a few seconds after the ref ended the match, so somebody boned up the timing a bit there. The NOD then attack the Spent Helmsley, but DX come back out once more to get themselves some. JR suggests this feud will never end, and as loath as I am to, I think I believe him. Peter, a 30-minute match that felt like a 30-minute match, but... Which side of the fence are you on on this one? Because I think this one might cause a bit of dissension. Yeah, I'm, you're probably right there. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of having a 30-minute, let's say, Iron Man match or a two, uh, two, two out of three, three falls. falls. Yes, two out of three falls. Yeah, but obviously, if you have an Iron Man match or this type of match that's going to be 60 minutes, half an hour, I think you need to have um, a level of pinfalls to create that drama and excitement. I think you need to have that to keep the crowd invested we go back to Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, God bless them in their their sixty minute match with that single pin after the sixty minutes, the crowd were, you know, they were lost. This took twenty one minutes for the first fall. I counted on my when I was writing seven run ins during the during the match, which was to be expected with, you know, the nation and obviously DX. Um I think these two are capable of a lot more. But I think they're just they're just developing. I think themselves as as, as wrestlers, and 
the, the the chin locks and the whole it was just it was just too long i think the action was good enough but you could have you could have knocked off probably 10 minutes and this would have been you know maybe i know you can't necessarily have a 20 minute time limit, but i think it would have been a lot tighter and a lot better and kept everybody kind of involved waiting for that third fall waiting for the winner i don't mind that there wasn't a winner i think that just keeps everything just rolling on i like the rocks character i think he's you know, uh, he's come on absolutely leaps and bounds and that cocky kind of arrogance is, is great. Triple H uh, has got his own thing going now. He's now become the leader. So I think he's playing that role really well. But for me, if it was about, I would say, for me, my, my opinion, about 10 minutes less, uh, maybe same result. I don't, I've got no issue with it being, you know, a time limit draw, as it were, and Rock keeps the title. I just think it was a bit too long. Was the time limit a problem? Could they have just done a two out of three falls? It's one one, and then it ends in I don't know a double pin or even yeah. God forbid a double schmoz. Exactly a DQ where everybody runs in and it all goes mental. You know, out, out we go. It carries on rather than we've got thirty minutes here. I don't think these guys can fill thirty minutes at the moment. That was the issue for me. Yeah, these two are facing each other in a ladder match at SummerSlam. To build up to that, I don't think you need to have Helmsley getting hosed in the last seconds. A straight draw achieves the same result and makes a ladder match, which is going to be an emphatic finish anyway, even more so. But Adam, your thoughts? Too hot, too cold, or just right? Right. All I can say is I'm glad this match didn't happen two years ago. The the way that um, Helmsley's changed as a worker and the improvements that Rock's face over the last year or so, they're certainly they're certainly um, improved workers. So yeah, I mean, Rock, especially in the last year or so, has become such an electric worker, but but he still relies quite heavily on rest holds a lot, and when he brawls to the outside, there it just seems so stilted at times. Uh, and that really did show after about 10 minutes or so of this match. I mean, another thing that really irked me is, do we need so much interference from China in Triple H's match? You thought you look at the reaction when he hit that pedigree after China interfered, and you look at the reaction when he hit that pedigree at the end of the match. The crowd reaction allowed us to that last pedigree because the crowd knew that Triple H could beat The Rock. But they just don't seem to be prepared to sort of let Triple H go as a single because he has come on from where he was, that Greenwich Blue Blood who who just did those same formulaic matches and was just so I don't want to say stiff, but his style was so unflinching and so formulaic, if that makes sense. Right result though? Did there need to be a winner here or at least as a draw? kind of the correct result for where they're going if you might not like the way they got there um i don't know i i think it would have worked better had they kept it as title for title because that would have boosted the prestige of the european title and then just had maybe triple h lose it to DLO like uh, a week or so later on raw because i that really irks me that the fact that announces the title for title then the week before they put both the belts up but it also um, it also would have raised the stakes because 
in theory, we have seen it in the past in WWF two out of three full matches where the champion just gets disqualified on the second fall and keeps the title on that technicality. And if they were keeping to those rulings, uh, I believe it was a Saturday night's main event in the late 80s in, in a tag title match where that rule crops up. And I could have just seen The Rock just hit a belt shot and just be like, well, I've lost, but it's disqualification, so I'm taking this home. So, yeah, keeping it as a title for title match, I think this result would work better in that situation. Christopher? See, I really fucking like this match. I think it's awesome. Um, I liked how they used the factions. I liked the run-ins. I think it meant that there was sort of enough breaks in the match that meant they could they could rest a little bit, yet sort of progress the story. Um, I don't think it felt like it was a half an hour match. It didn't seem to drag, which, you know, sometimes when you get time limit matches, you know, back in especially WCW, if you think sort of five, six years ago, when you got that whole five minutes left of time, you know it's going to account a time limit draw. This didn't feel like it dragged. It didn't have that same vibe around it that, you know, you, you, you'd normally get with something that's going to go to a time limit draw. And I was just like, really, I'm really impressed with these two. Um, you know, I mean, these two will be the future of this company. You know, I don't watch a lot of the Fed because I do spend most of my time with ECW. Um, but these two remind me of what Sean and Brett did six, seven years ago, fighting over the IC title. And if in four or five years, these two were as hot as Brett and Sean were a couple of years ago, you know, the future is good here. Um and as you say, these going into a ladder match, again, sort of back to that Sean and Brett idea, they did that too. And that uh, was a good, great match too. Part of me might want to come and watch SummerSlam just to see that. See, I I, I, I wasn't with this match at all. I mean, my animus towards Helmsley, I think it shines through. Careful, Rory, your hatred for Hunter is showing. And so it... Hatred is a bit strong. Yeah, I still think he's being pushed above his means. And Rocky has got everything, everything down, apart from the in-ring stuff, in my opinion. I get what the Fed were doing here. Now, let's face it, these two are both over. They're the leaders of their respective factions. This is a B-level pay-per-view. So this is the Fed saying to them, okay, guys, you're getting half an hour. Go out and prove it to me. Show that you can really hang with the very best of them. And you can, in due time, main event with the likes of the Austins and the Undertakers and the Canes. <sighs> they needed a ton of help to get there, as Peter has said. Was it no fewer than seven aspects of interference in a half-an-hour match? That's one just over every four minutes. Even in the World Wrestling Federation in the summer of 1998, that is over death, let alone overkill, over murder, over everything you could possibly think of. I was just groaning at every time. Big Spot is going to end in interference. Just Will the ref see it or will he not? Will it lead to a fall or will it not? And not in the interesting way. These two needed so much help, far too reliant on rest holes as we talked about. This match wasn't a bust. Again, so often I just, I just ask for effort and these two gave me effort. They realized this was important. They gave everything they had, but it just wasn't enough. And I fear for them in this ladder match. They're in front of Madison Square Garden, super smart crowd. 
I don't think they're going to be able to get away with this sort of thing again. The MSG crowd will see through multiple run-ins just to hide their deficiencies. And as I say, I don't think Helmsley, once again, I'm going to criticise him once more, I don't think he's a sympathetic enough character for the crowd to really care that he got boned in the last second by a time limit rundown. He isn't, he's not 1992 Ricky Steamboat. Don't put on him what he isn't. He's a well-built wisecracker. He could still be a babyface in 1998 as that. Don't try and make him into a super sympathetic character because it's not going to work. But yes, I applaud the efforts here. A brave experiment, the right show to do it. But for me, it just didn't quite work. And there are still plenty of questions about both of these two before we then consider them being the future of the company. Security cameras show that Undertaker is here. Story, Lombardi. Next up is our bikini contest for which we even get a tail of the tape. We have to wait for a little while, though, as Dustin Reynolds is here to ask if the Lord God have mercy on us. And the Messiah is coming, so you better get ready for him. I think he's excellent in this role. Jackie is in the ring. She is about to go first, as I am about to come for... Ah, oh, never mind. A Sable is here to join us. We've got to wait after all. Not for long, though. The written nor spoken word can really do justice to what is being shown before us, so don't expect any play-by-play -play from me on this one. But that is until Jacqueline suffers what is known in the game as a nip slip. Nobody really draws attention to it, so it definitely wasn't planned. But yeah, I saw it. Of course I did. Sable is next, and she is sort of covered up. She got her job back thanks to Mr. McMahon, who wanted to, to go on and dress conservatively in the future. But her idea of conservative is very different. This is live TV, as we have just proved. The top comes off. Another bikini happens to be two handprints. You can work it out. I bet Jackie now wishes she had thought of that. Sable wins, of course, but then Vince dresses her in his coat and leads her away whilst giving her quite the lecture. Chris, pun intended, keep this one short. This, um, well, you know, I suppose everyone loves boobs. But did, I don't get it. I don't get why we need to do this but you know i suppose boobs <laughs> i suppose boobs say no more peter yeah just it was wasn't it really um if we're gonna talk about the rules of a bikini contest oh my quickly, god <laughs> go on you have to wear a bikini <laughs> I'll leave that the there. only person caring about the that. rules, damn it. The night. rules. Till the next night on Raw. I mean, I can't believe it. But yeah. Ever, Pete Kim, but ever the Puritan. And, and controversial, I think Jackie's better than Sable. I'm with you on that one. Adam? Um, I'm guessing this is the 1998 version of uh, Warrior and Rick Rude at Rumble 89. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, you know, I don't think a flexing contest would, would fare too well in these days. And all I'm thinking is this is this really does this really have a place on a wrestling card? Not, not just a wrestling card, but a pay per view. You know, people have paid money to watch this. And is there nothing better that they have that they can offer them? I think, uh, the, crowd, I think the crowd enjoyed it, though, to be fair. Uh, yeah, but I've got I've got internet on my desktop. I can probably find something slightly better in ten seconds. T t ten seconds? Have you got fifty six kbs or something? Oh, yep. have a word. Please have a word with me after the show on that one, Adam. 
Uh, okay. yeah. <laughs> it all comes back well, to know, all comes back to CompuServe, well, doesn't it? it? Back, get to the websites quickly. You know, the pictures take a little longer to load, but <laughs> good things come to those who wait. Uh, and again, once again, not for the first time today. Add your own joke. Yeah, this was a bikini contest on a wrestling pay per view. I think we've already discussed it. My rewind button is broken. Main event time. Kane and Mankind defending the World Heavyweight Tag Team Championships, as I've just renamed them, against Austin and The Undertaker. We get off to a good start here as Undertaker actually walks towards Austin in order to accost him. I really like that. But the heels attack. After a brawl to start, we settle down with Austin taking early heat from Kane and Mankind, who make a series of quick tags. There's press and fists and fire, followed by a quick tease of the stunner, but Kane goes over the top to escape. A bit of a scrap outside, and then Taker gets tagged in. He stares out Stone Cold and gives him the finger. Austin laughs as if to say, yep, I saw that one coming, mate. Taker walks the top rope to assume control over mankind. Mick makes a, bl- Mick makes a blind tag, though, and Kane is able to choke slam his brother. Mankind in with punches in the corner and then the running knee. The crowd are flattered because they only really want to see main events in which Austin can raise hell. Double arm DDT by Foley and Taker is out at two. Now they get their wish as Austin with a running punch knocks mankind off the apron and he lands on the Spanish announce table. Well, he clearly enjoyed it so much last time, after all. Back in with an Undertaker DDT. He tries to go for the hot tag, but he gets shoved into Austin by Kane, and that counts. Austin gives Kane a pasting, including a huge chair shot right to the head. Kane, though, gets out of it too. He then gets put down by a big boot. Austin over the top, and the antagonist beat on him badly. Into the ring again, and Mankind tries to rip his face off. Tag to Kane, who tries to do the same. We get a fascinating facial expression from Undertaker here. He looks kind of remorseful for Austin, but kind of not. Some excellent work there, Mark. Steve manages to fight out of a Mankind chin lock, and we have ourselves a double clothesline. Kane in with a slam and a leg drop, but no three count yet. Undertaker steps over the rope, but he just stares out the ref, which allows the heel double teaming to go unnoticed. Hmm. Kane goes for the tombstone, but Austin fights out into the stunner. Mankind breaks up a pin with the claw, but he gets stunned too. All three men are down as Undertaker just looks on. Austin crawls over for the tag, but Taker does not instantly respond. But then in the nick of time, he decides, ah, sod it, and he is in. Ball shot to Mankind. Chokeslam to Kane. Chokeslam to Mankind. Tombstone to Kane. One, two, three. And we have new tag team champions. Undertaker, though, grabs both belts, and he makes off with them as we close out the show. Adam. Uh, um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of how to put this into words. Uh, right. So the World Cup has just finished. France are the world champions. Are France? Are, is the French starting lineup the eleven best players in the world? Nope. Probably not. No. It's you could. But the fact that they've won the World Cup is they are the best team together. Yes. They've trained together, they've worked together to become the best team, and they've won the championship that says they are the best team. That is what a team championship is. It is not an individual championship. Therefore, you will not see the best player, you won't necessarily see the best player in the world holding it unless he gels with the rest of his team the best. So, why are Austin and Undertaker now the tag team champions? Tag team titles are supposed to represent the best tag team. The last six months or so, the New Age Outlaws have been trying to, you know, to define 
that belt as meaning that they have faced all knocked back all these other tag teams and they are believably the best tag team champions because of how well they gel together as a team badass billy gun and road dog cannot be austin one-on-one but in theory as a the top tag team in the world, they should be able to be Austin and a partner of his choosing by proxy of the fact they are the best tag team in the world. So why are the tag team titles in the, on the line in a match like this? I, I can forgive Kane and Mankind becoming the champions. There is something about them that makes me think as a team they would work together. But Austin and Undertaker, especially with the build to SummerSlam working, it really does not sit well with me. I mean... The, tr- the way they're pushing Austin at the minute, match like this, you can't you can't make him losing. It's it would damage his credibility. But as a, a rule, as a wrestling promoter, as a wrestling booker, if it's going to ha- harm your talent, to put him in a match where he should lose, just don't put him in the fucking match. This match didn't need to be for the tag team titles. The tag team titles didn't be didn't need to be put on Kane and Mankind. Tag team titles could have gone on to Badass Billy Gun and could have stayed with the New Age Outlaws and they could have had a tag title match with so- someone that the Fed could have built up. Like, I mean, we've knocked a lot of the Fed talent, but they, the talent over the last six months in the in the Fed has improved one hell of a lot. There are a lot of talented guys on that roster now compared with, with even six months ago. They could have put together a compelling tag team feud for the New Age Outlaws to have and blow off at this feud, and blow off at this pay-per-view. Instead, for whatever reason, they have seen fit to put the tag team titles on a team that's not actually a team. The sole purpose of building up to a match at the next event. They didn't need the tag team titles to do that. This match would have been fine as a non-title match. <laughs> well said, that man. Yes, I I already feel like I've seen the tag team champion partners who hate each other trope a million times. and ECW go to it far 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 too often for example and it's seeping into the big two as well we'll get to the undertaker austin build a bit later on in the show but i don't think we needed to win the tag team titles here i agree with you so your thoughts on all of all of that and the match christopher see i like uh, champions going at each other you know dysfunctional how can i get along keep winning the belts it's it's wrestling 101 this is like classic wrestling booking and i have to say I quite like it. Um, this was a decent match. Um, I really liked it. I liked how Taker and Austin, you know, dysfunctional, not really getting along, but still managed to sort of do it. The willy won't he of Taker and Kane start until Taker just batters Kane. You know, the storytelling's great. Taker leaving with both belts sort of leads you into them going forward leaving more questions and answers, which is what you want at an end of a show because the whole thing of wrestling is it never stops. It doesn't have a conclusion. It's that bit to get you into the next show. I felt this was really, really good and I really enjoyed it, but you know, call me weird to see the fact that the majority of you seem to not like the fact of, you know, the dysfunctional partners as champions. It's not so much I dislike it, I just don't think this particular feud needs it. And we, we will get to that in a couple of minutes uh, when we uh, do our TV discussion. Uh, Peter, your thoughts on the match as well? Yeah, so I think you mentioned earlier on about The Rock and Triple H 
were auditioning to somehow get into the main event picture. These four guys are the main event. They are at the moment the biggest four guys in the company. Yep. I think you, this protected Austin and Mankind because I think clearly, obviously, Mankind, if he's not injured, I mean, the guy must be made of, you know, stainless steel for God's sake. After what he's gone through recently, we know Austin's obviously having to to work around his issues with his neck and what's going on. So I think it protects them to have this scenario and this tag team situation. Um, I think the biggest losers are the New Age Outlaws, clearly. I think that was a bit of a, a shame for them to lose the belts. But I think, actually, it, it it kind of works. And you've got the four biggest talents, the four current biggest guys out there in your main event, which I think makes a lot of sense, unlike WCW's tag team division, which we've spoken about previously on other shows, where it's just it's properly blown off and it's not, there's no, sometimes no resolution. No one really seems to care about it. At least you've got, you know, the biggest people in the company battling for a tag team title, whether or not they are, Adam's right. They're not generically a team. They've been put together a little bit, Well, you could say mankind and Kane have been kind of together for a little while now in terms of sort of Paul Bearer. Um, it does. I mean, I, I quite like a bit of dissension. I think it just has another little angle. And, and Chris is right. It is your classic, you know, tag team in peril. But Austin is also the champion. So that kind of, you know, does that also work in there? But I think it just adds another little layer into, you know, obviously Taker walks out with the belts, leaves Austin there. It, just, it, it plays on a little bit further as you go along the month as well. So... Uh, the match was what I thought it would be. It was it was decent affair, but you can definitely see they're protecting the uh, the injured guys out there. And, um, and Taker and Kane are not necessarily known for their work rate, so the match wasn't going to be you know a high octane uh, knockout drag out affair. But it was it was it was pretty good. I quite enjoyed it. It was actually a good way to finish a show. The crowd sort of got what they wanted, I think, as well. You know, they got Austin in some of his hot spots. Quite good that Taker got the the win. You know, normally we see a stunner, don't we? And then the music, the, the glass smashes and Austin walks away. It was nice that Taker got a little bit of the light as well here. So, yeah, for me, it was a, a good way to end the show. And I don't mind what's happening. They need to get the belts off them, you know, pretty quickly. And then they need to go full force for the WWF title. It needs to be the key now. I want to be the world champion, not worrying about tag belts. But no, it was okay for me. I was surprised at how many notes I had for this match when I was running through them just now. This, for me, watching it, felt like a really hot eight-minute Raw main event dragged out twice as long. And there were some noticeable dead spots in here, although they didn't really come across in my notes. I think I was only really looking out for the big crash bang wallops, and this match did indeed have a lot of them. I think we've become attuned these days just to expecting those and nothing else. So when matches do take a bit of a downturn, we almost draw a blind eye to it. And you could say that is due to the strength of the characters and, of course, the strength of the product as well. And the fact that the crowd were hot throughout, they never really died off. All of those things do play a part. But it was a worthy B-level pay-per-view main event. As you say, Peter, these are the four biggest names in the company right now. So it's quite right that they should be broken down in some way, shape or form. For me, this was all about telling the Austin Taker story in the match far more from the hackneyed belt-winning thing. Sorry, Chris. Undertaker just want to square up with Austin straight away, which I love. Giving him the finger. 
having a crisis of confidence on the apron, but thinking, oh, well, right then. Yes, okay, I'll tag him. I'll help us, I'll help us win the match. Okay, all of that stuff. Really like that. Everybody held up their end. This was no work rate classic, but everybody brought their, their equivalent of working boots along. Lots of dead spots. It's not going to go down, say, the likes of uh, Sting and Luger against the Steiners from Super Brawl 1, as I've seen some people comparing it to. That's going way over the top. But very much more than acceptable pay-per-view closer. And now we can begin our run to the highway to hell. So, Peter, sum up fully loaded for us and score it out of 10, if you would, please. Yeah, um, I liked the opener. I thought that was decent enough. Start to the show. I liked the dungeon match between Hart and Shamrock. Um, I wasn't a massive fan of the, the time limit draw, but I think, you know, that's just my kind of feeling towards that scenario. And I quite enjoyed the main event for what it was. So the rest of it was just, I mean, as you say, if you watch the Raws in July, they would just cookie cutter into a, to a raw match because there was we've all mentioned it all night there's not been any build to most of them we've not seen half of them you know it was a, a weird way to kind of set the road to SummerSlam by not resetting anything up apart from Taker Austin but I guess it's the highway to hell which is what it's all about so I need to remember though there are another what six seven eight matches I've got to think about at SummerSlam so this didn't do anything at all really moving forward um I'm going to give it a rating of 5 out of 10. And that's probably being very generous, but hey, why not? Your thoughts and score, Adam? Um, right, well, there were some fairly good matches. There were some I have no intention of ever watching again. There's nothing that really stands out for me there's the main event was to serve as a stopgap between the last event and the next event but it could have happened on free tv most of the matches happened with little to no build the fact that in the opening match on commentary they were promoting something that's going to happen on the upcoming episode of raw and then they did it again uh, for a second match in the promo with uh, Kane, Mankind and the Outlaws shows the fact they seem more concerned with what's happening the next night than what's happening in the night that we're supposed to be paying for which really there's nothing going on here for a And Chris? See, this is the ultimate show of two halves you've got three good matches and a good fight and the rest is pointless shite um xbox delo triple h rock and the main event all worth your time and watching obviously watch shamrock and owen if you want to watch a, a decent scrap that you know seeing the fact we're in this period as i said during the review of it if we're in this period of the brawl for all trying to be real fighting we have a worked fight that looks better than anything that they've done in the Brawl for All. Um, you know, there's there's a bit of progression going into what clearly is the bigger picture being SummerSlam. Five out of ten. Yeah, I'm, I'm at a five as well. I don't think 
any of the good matches on here, and there were some, stand up to the good matches we had on the WCW pay-per-view this month. Yeah, I'm still scoring this one one and a half points higher. Oh, wow. A five against a three and a half. I know, I know. As I did feel this was the kind of use you want from a B-level pay-per-view in the WWF, especially when you've got a huge pay-per-view coming down the pike. Nothing essential, nothing you absolutely had to fork out for. I do think JR's hype for this a couple of weeks before that this was going to be one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time was laughable. But at the same time, I do at least see what he was trying to do. They used their spare time here to try a few different things. Having people bash, trying to bash through the glass ceiling in a half an hour match. Having a very different style match in a dungeon. Things like that. They weren't just resting on their laurels here like they have done with a lot of B-shows, certainly 95, 96, 97. They were trying. I don't think they were, suc they were successful. There were some absolute dogs here, and the main event was somewhere between house show and raw level. But I don't think that matters in the, in the grand scheme of things, CS. By no means feel you need to press pause and get yourself a copy of this tape, but if you do come across it, especially if you want to help yourself build up to SummerSlam, you could probably do far worse. So I'm going to say thumbs right in the middle, 5 out of 10 for fully loaded 1998. Last night, Fresno, California, I tombstone my brother into hell. And Stone Cold Steve Austin and I are the World Tag Team Champions. Now we may be champions, but we'll never be partners unless Stone Cold comes out here right now uh -oh. and apologizes to me. Oh, I God. demand an apology. Whoa, you what? I think it's a very reasonable request. Apology? Oh, wait a minute. Mr. McMahon and company, yes. the owner of the WWF. You demand an apology? Sometimes I just can't believe my ears. You're demanding an apology from Stone Cold. Now, uh, let me see. The reason you're demanding an apology is because since you tombstone your brother Cain to hell, you think that proves that you and Cain we're not conspiring together, right? Not in my book. No, no. Because you did exactly what I would have done if I were you. I would make certain that I tombstone my brother to try and prove that indeed there was no conspiracy. And I don't know if everyone here is gullible enough to buy that or not. I'm not. You're right. I'm not. I don't know that Austin will. Because let's think about it. 
How many tombstones did it take for you to put your brother away at WrestleMania? Uh, let's see, I think three. Both of you are damn near impervious to pain. Therefore, I'm not buying your story, Undertaker. Not at all. He's right, Jay. And if anyone deserves an apology around here, it's me. Do you realize? Shut up, people. Do you realize what you did to me? You put your hands on me last week. And I might do it again. Uh-oh. I sustained a neck injury as a result of what you did last week. And I don't appreciate it. And I'm going to get my apology right here and right now. But not before. Watch it. Not before I let you and Stone Cold know that in this ring tonight, you and Austin will defend the Tag Team Championship against the New Age Outlaws. Oh, that's a big matchup. Whoa. Big main event here tonight. What, one of many main events tonight. And now, Undertaker, I'm not leaving this ring until you apologize to me. Well, oh my. Wait a minute. Here comes the rattlesnake. your sorry ass up the ramp because I ain't got a damn thing to say to you. That's no respect. And as far as you're concerned, you hit the nail right on the head, son. Are we champions? Hell yeah. I never asked to be your friend or anything more than that. I ain't out here to shake your hand or run circles around you because I don't give a damn about all that. But if that jackass is gonna make a match between you and me, the tag team champions against DX, the New Age Outlaws, then you're damn right. I'm gonna come out here and defend my belt, which you got in your little grubby hand. But I'll tell you this, you come out here and demand an apology from Stone Cold Steve Austin, 
You want an apology? Hell, son, I got one for you right here. Hey, uh-oh. Stone Cold Steve Austin not missing any words here. Week 4's TV opens up with The Undertaker. He says that he too stoned his brother to hell and won the tag team titles. He demands that Austin apologise to him. This brings out Vince, who says just because he tombstoned Kane doesn't prove that they weren't in cahoots. Out comes Austin, spoiling the new Smoking Skull belt. He says they are not partners, but says he's here to give him an apology, and at this point, flips off Taker. We then see a match between Vader and D'Lo. Vader wins by countout after he removes D'Lo's chest protector and gave him a big splash on the floor. We get a Dross's World promo. We then see Bart Gunn beat Dr. Death in the Brawl for All by a knockout. Owen says that he's the most dangerous man in the WWF before the match and shows an open challenge, which brings out Jason Sensation, who does his very own Owen impression, chanting Nugget out several times. Owen goes after him, but out comes Severin in a full suit. We get an impromptu match between Owen and Dan Severin. This is thrown out when Shamrock comes in and attacks Severin and chokes out Shamrock. We see Farouk and Two Cold Scorpio going against the DOA. This ends in a DQ when Bradshaw, who's on commentary, decides to take out everyone. We then have a triple threat match for the IC title, which sees The Rock going against Triple H going against X-Buck. It starts with DX beating down The Rock. Some great teamwork with a suplex into leg drop into knee drop combo. The Rock manages to get a clothesline on pack, which means that Triple H hits the high knee and gets a pedigree for the two. The two only because X-Pac breaks the pin. X-Pac hits a spinning back kick and gets a two count, and then whips The Rock into Triple H, who hits the table. The Rock then beats down pack and hits the slow-mo and drop and gets a two. It's the people's elbow for a two and the rock bottom for a two. Hunter's back in and puts the boots in on the rock. Hits the knee smash clothesline and gets a two. X-Puck hits an X-Factor and gets a two. X-Puck gets hit by Triple H in the end as they're going at it. The rock then walks away and gets the count out. Rock keeps his title due to count out. The Outlaws come out and say that their names, the names have changed, but their aim hasn't. Baracus beats Jesus in a painfully short match with a spinebuster. We then see Val Venus in the shower with Mr. Yamaguchi. Val Venus has a match with Christopher, Brian Christopher. Val wins with his version of the Fisherman Suplex. Before the match, Kai and Tai come out. And Yamaguchi-san's there with a samurai sword. And Kai and Tai have deli meat. Post-match, Yamaguchi-san puts the deli meat on the stone platform they've got out there. Telling Val Venus that next week they're going to choppy choppy your pee-pee. As he uses the samurai sword to chop the sausages. We then get a promo with LOD. Hawk looks absolutely wasted and his face paint is fucked up at this point. We then get a match between the LOD and the Godfather and Mark Hendry. The Nation team win after the Godfather hits the Death Valley driver. 
But the real story in this match is Hawk being fucked up. He falls into the ring and looks as though he's falling asleep on the apron waiting for a tag. And also falls off the side of the ring when trying to climb up to hit the Doomsday device. The JR and King are trying to cover for this on commentary saying that he'd had some bad news earlier in the day and hadn't slept well. We then see Sable and Jackie come out. Vince has reversed the decision on the bikini contest because Jackie so Jackie wins because hand paint isn't a bikini top. Sable says that she expected this to happen and calls Vince out saying that he isn't a man enough. So out comes Vince. He says that she's an ungrateful bitch and that he is the knight in shining armour when Mark left her. He says that people like her are a dime a dozen and she could easily be replaced and she owes him. So if she wants to keep her job, she needs to not be such an ungrateful bitch. Main event of the evening sees Undertaker and Stone Cold defending their tag team titles against the New Age Outlaws. Austin and Gunn start the match, but to begin, a beach ball lands in the ring and Austin hits a wonderful punt straight out. They exchange blows until Gunn does his flex pose. Austin then does the same, but just before he does the double guns, he dips the double bird. Austin then with some punches and clotheslines and hits a slingshot, goes to try for a stunner, but Gunn blocks, Road Dog jumps in, and attacks Austin. They get a tag to take it and they beat down Dog. As he's about to go for a choke slam, Billy hits the chop block. At this point, they then work on Undertaker's legs. Road Dog hits some big punches and Taker hits some of his own. Again, another chop block takes him down and they attack the legs some more. Road Dog posts the legs of Undertaker and then the Outlaws continue to do double teams. Billy misses a corner splash, which means that a tag can be made to Stone Cold. He comes in, beats down both of the Outlaws, hits a Lufez press, a stunner onto the Road Dog, and gets the win. Another really, really good TV match. To end the show, Austin goes and grabs his beer and lobs one into Taker. We see Mankind and Kane come out from nowhere and attack them as we go off the air. She's not happy. You know, I don't need any stupid trophy to tell me that I won this contest. I think the fans spoke for themselves. I'm not surprised at all that this happened. In fact, I rather expected it. I only wish that Mr. McMahon would have been man enough to come and tell me to my face. Well. Man enough? Uh-oh. Well, guess who? Hey, she's no intern. Did you say man enough? No one insulted. Man enough! Uh-oh. Heard that tone before. Right before I got my last pink slip. You dare get out of my way. You dare question my masculinity? Me, Vince McMahon? I've 
dealt with a lot of ingrates before that I've made superstars. Get out of the ring. I never thought you'd be one of them. Mark Merrill tricked you. You are no longer contractually here in the World Wrestling Federation. Who was the knight in shining armor that came to your rescue? Me, Vince McMahon. That's all right. That's all right, because the next time you do that, you'll hit her. No problem. Now then. Notwithstanding me being the knight in shining armor coming to your rescue, Sable, I admit, from a PR standpoint, I brought you back because of your overwhelming popularity with WWF fans. I admit that. And let's face it, I do everything I can for WWF fans. However, people like you, especially in this town, are a dime a dozen. I could snap my fingers and have you replaced by any number of bimbos and airheads. You owe me, Sable. And when people like you owe me, I generally collect. However, your knight in shining armor will allow you to continue to be gainfully employed here in the World Wrestling Federation, at least for a little while longer. Just as long as you don't become an ungrateful bitch. Enjoying this. Okay, two quick discussion points before we finish up for the month. One related to what we have seen, and one related to what we might well see. Television presentation. Chris, we were talking off air about the Raws this week, uh, this month when we were putting this show together, and you came up with a brilliant phrase which was jerry springer television yes um elaborate on that for us well we've got it in sort of two folds really so you've got a the jackie and sable shit that's been going on all month of you stole my man he's not my man he, i couldn't fuck him he kept me hard i couldn't sleep rah 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 bitch bitch you're a skank you're a whore shit which is so very jerry springer and then you've also got the car crash style of Val Venus sleeping with Mr. Yamaguchi's wife and at the end of the month them saying they're going to take their revenge by choppy choppy your pee pee. Is this where the Fed are going with 
I get it. You know, I know it's a modern thing. You know, South Park, Jerry Springer. It's all you know, counterculture and shock TV. You know, Howard Stern's a big thing in the radio in the states in the morning. Do we need it in our wrestling? Is this going to be what they're going with? Is this the way forward? To me, you know, I see the funny side of you know me choppy choppy your pee pee chopping sausages up. But I could do without the Sable and Jackie just literally calling each other a whore. Adam, is there a case to be made that as trashy as this stuff is, it is what people want to see? I mean, the ratings this month, WCW won only once. And that was when they hot-shotted the belt onto one Bill Goldberg. Raw has destroyed them with the other four out of five weeks, which we've been talking about here. So somebody's getting something right, are they not? Well, the fact that they've been doing the same thing consistently over, over this month, and the one time they lost was to some was not to a soap opera angle, but to an actual wrestling angle, surely speaks volumes. That's a good shot. The people tune in to watch a wrestling show. They, yeah, there's you can have some nice bells and whistles on it, but you can't have. You've got to have some substance there. There's a reason that so many people tuned in to watch Goldberg win that title because they've become invested in Goldberg as a person. He's had no real bells and whistles put on him. He's just straight up. He goes out there and in three minutes, Spear Jackhammer wins onto the next one. And this is, that's what's won the people over. Um, Austin, even though he's got a lot of bells and whistles to him, it's still to the point of going to go out there, he's going to talk some trash to him, he's going to back it up in the ring, uh, knock someone down, stunner, win, onto the next guy. Do I, I, I think that if I'm honest, I think there's too many angles going on in, in the Fed right now. Um, just a second, I'll bring up my notes for the first war of the month. I think there's you off the top of my head going through. Uh, right, I've got my notes for the first rule of the month here. Let's go through some of the angles they've got. Uh, they've got uh, brawl for all. They've got um, they've got Dustin Runnels. They've got Ty and Ty and Balvin. They've got Jacqueline and Sable. They've got DX and the Nation. They've got uh, obviously they've got the main event. In fact, the point of the angles is. It's to elevate guys, but if everyone is walking around with an angle, then it kind of waters down the point of giving those guys storylines because everyone has a storyline. The only people who need the storylines are the main event guys, people you're looking to put up to the main event, and people you want to shine a light on. Everyone else, they're just going to have to, you know, put put their time in, wait till wait till there's an opening, and then they can have an angle. Otherwise, there's no point of having angles. Uh, I don't know, some of the stuff may be amusing, but I was watching like the Kai and Ty and Valvina stuff, and I think that's going to kill their heat in the end. I mean, the week before Fully Loaded, Valvina took out the three of them with the paddle, and you just sort of think, hang on a minute ago, a month ago, they were a credible street gang. Now they're just a punchline. It's I'm uh, not a fan. I'm really not. It's just a shame because they've, like I said, over the past few months they're really bringing in some top, some top level talent. 
uh, onto their roster right now. Pete, where does all this end? Well, see, I, I slightly disagree a little bit with kind of some of the comments. I think you watch Nitro and it's just squash match after squash match, running, 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 main event, running. And then there's not anything going on there at all most of the time. At least you well, get. No, that, that was my point, though. The one time that there was something going on was the Goldberg versus Hogan match. But that was, that, I think was... that was desperation to pop a rating and nothing else. They weren't. They were just on a losing streak. They've not changed their, their. They did it for the right reason, but they popped it for a rating, nothing else. They didn't. They, did, they only won that that one week, and they sold Goldberg. Yeah, not no, on view on on a night. You have a point there, but, it, but it's it's also a sign that if they if they'd have treated it right, that would have been a winner for them. They, they've done. It's a sign they've done something right with Goldberg by not having him in all those all those ridiculous angles by just having him do what he does. That yeah, but also they, they've lost potentially a, a pay-per-view buy rate and millions of dollars potentially on a on a big show, haven't they? But, you know, I, I get what you're saying as well. But for me, I think they've got, you've got to look at the demographic. You've got to look at who the WF are now currently aiming for. They're in this, what, 18, 20 to 35, 40 male you know, let's all, I mean, I've listened to the ECW show because I'm a patron, obviously, already. And there's talk of this banning the beer, obviously, in, in the crowd. But these guys in WF events are all, you know, they're all on the on the low, on the Budweiser's all going for it. And all this is just an entertainment. This is all just a, um, a soap opera. But for men, dare I say it, it sounds a bit corny and cheesy, but you know, you know what I kind of mean by that. And they can just go and almost drop their brain outside and walk in and just, just enjoy it, I suppose. I think that's what's worked. Obviously, some of it is, you know, close to the knuckle and it's a bit dull hearing Saban and Jackie every week coming out and you've got a porn star trying to shag someone's wife and they're going to chop his knob off. It's just, it's just, I think they're just getting everything they can get and they're chucking it all at the wall and seeing what sticks and what drops down. And I think that's what's happening at the moment. And they're obviously getting some things right. What that says about the audience, I guess, is another story. But and then you mentioned where it will go, Rory. Who, who's to say where this will go? Because you know, we've already got you know, blacked up characters coming out doing parodies. You've got porn stars. You've got you know, titillation. They mentioned on one of the the uh, the things. You've got all this going on. Um, it's it's a, it's a far remove from you know a few years back when it was you know potentially more about probably matches and in-ring this is a bit more they're going to just shoot and see what happens and see if they can get people's interest to get a ratings win but they've got to be careful that you know this paper you just reviewed you know there was a lot of lot of dross on there some decent but they've got to protect some of the adam mentions the the, the talent who can still go in that ring and deliver a you know 10 15 20 30 minute match of a high quality against the porn stars and the TNA, dare I say it, and the some crazy angles. So there is that balancing act. But looking at the ratings now, yeah, they're obviously doing something right, but they've got to really think about the balance going forward as well, I think. Just two more points I want to add on this one. We're coming up to the 50th anniversary of our project. Not long after we begun on edition of Superstars in Christmas 1993, Doink went to meet Santa Claus who gave him a present, and that present turned out to be Dink. Okay? 
just imagine that mm. happening four and a half years on. And don't nobody say, yes, it's July, it's not Christmas, because I'm not going to listen to you. <laughs> Second, secondly, secondly, yes, there is clearly, clearly an audience for this sort of thing, and the numbers do not lie. But I'm just going to leave this one, because I'm sure we're going to be coming to this one for many months to come. Because WWF, they ain't stopping. They are, just listen to Vince's comments earlier, he's loving this stuff. He's loving the attention it's getting, be it good or bad. And he is just going to throw more and more and more, as you say, Peter, at the wall. But does anybody who tunes in to watch Raw on a Monday night, goes to live events, watches pay-per-views, especially the people who read the dirt sheets and listen to wrestling podcasts every month? Hi there. Do you call yourself a sports entertainment fan? Or do you call yourself a wrestling fan? I think we all know the answer to that one. Finishing up for the month, SummerSlam, hovering into view, coming up at the end of August. We've still got, I believe, four editions of Raw to go, but we already know what our two big matches are going to be. They're going to be Rock defending the IC title against Triple H in a ladder match, and the big one, Steve Austin against The Undertaker. And they've been doing so much work throughout the month of July to really get this one cooking. And say They are pushing SummerSlam, and they are pushing it big, and so they should. Unlike WrestleMania, I don't think it's an event which, which can really just sell itself. You've got to make it seem important, and boy, are they doing so. They've got a big song, ACDC's Highway to Hell. They're holding it in the garden. The fans will be rabid, and I can't wait for it. I say they really, really push this Undertaker stuff, and they've done, he has done some sterling character work over the last month. So, Chris, I'm going to come to you first on this question. We've seen a lot of this. We heard one of the promos there earlier from Undertaker. Two questions, really, and take these any way you wish. One, is Undertaker outright turning heel? And two, if he is, should they wait until after SummerSlam so we get the classic Austin Taker babyface match we didn't get a cold day in hell last year? Your thoughts on that, my friend? See, I would keep them as they are at the moment and keep them both as face. Get a banging match, you can have Austin win and then you bring Bearer in and you sort of get in Undertaker's ear with Paul Bearer saying you need to become evil, you need to side with your brother, which will obviously, you know, with the fact of this whole month has been Vince and everyone thinking that Kane and Taker in cahoots, you then put them together and you let them start destroying people. That's what I would do, and then that's that's your run through to I don't know Survivor Series, even or even go even further with them just destroying people until one of them or takes the title off Austin, or they take the tag titles and just dominate the tag division. But yeah, I would come out of SummerSlam with Austin still as the champ, but Taker and Kane becoming the brothers and destroying people the way that two monsters should. So you think Undertaker should turn heel at the end of this? Yeah, I would keep him face going into SummerSlam, but just have that sort of, it just wasn't good enough. It was close, but not, you know, he didn't get that win. So, you know, then you get Paul being manipulative and getting in his ear 
the way that he did with with mankind and you know that sort of beginning part of mankind and takers feud just worm his way in and just get him to be evil evil peter your thoughts on the match we're about to see in a few weeks time and uh what you think they should do with uh, the boy callaway yeah i mostly agree with chris there i think i think it makes more sense to carry on what they're doing at the moment which is kind of more the the trust isn't it that's going on at the moment with with austin and taker because they are now obviously champions as well and i think it's it's probably a better match can they promote a highway to hell match with two baby faces i don't know if that if, i mean the highway to hell is like it, it's got a connotation there but um i think the untaker will turn heel but i think after the the event it probably is the best way so i think he'll probably he won't win the title I, i'm going to predict potentially which means i think he then needs to turn heel to get back to the dark side to then you know i think the cane hookup is an interesting thing and um, then it's all out war with Austin as a proper, you know, proper dark evil heel that he can play obviously fantastically well. So, but I don't know if you're going to promote the highway to hell with two guys who just, you know, are tag team champions who don't sort of trust each other. Does that really fit? Or are they going to get Taker to turn on Austin in the coming month, you know, drop the titles? You know, beat down on Austin. I don't know what's going to happen there. So this next month will probably give us all the answers coming up. But I think afterwards is probably a better idea in the long run. But I don't know if they're going to the way they're promoting it. It seems to me like they want to have the Undertaker as maybe the bad guy. There I say a Scott Hall reference there, and have you know Austin as the proper full blown face to get that that crowd pop and get you know that that interest. So. It's, August is going to be a, a very interesting month before we hit that uh, that match. What do you think of all this, Adam? Um, I think this is a fantastic opportunity for them. Um, I think they should keep Undertaker Babyface. Uh, if we actually backpedal a little bit, since Austin's won the title, main feud has been with, with Vince. Yes. Um, even before that, he, as great as that feud's been, um, and I think it's still got plenty of legs on it. I could see it I could see it being almost next summer before they really before they have an actual in ring confrontation because that is coming down somewhere down the line. But I could see them holding off that long if they do it right. But as a result he's not had an actual in ring opponent who could be who it could be seen as him having a definitive feud with. Um I mean mankind was just uh was just a Vince Lackey and Sean was tragically quite uh, cut short. Otherwise, it could have been Sean. But Undertaker really could fill that spot. Um, and rather than having the match at SummerSlam being a, a being the big match, just because it's the big pay per view, that could be like the starting point for what could be a legendary feud between these two. Uh, and the best way to do that is to keep. Undertaker face until after that match and maybe the fact he couldn't win that match is what leads him down the dark path and from, and then they don't even have a rematch the next month they can just be a couple of months before they have that rematch 
at which point Taker turns either just before that match or actually even turns during that match. And that can really then sort of light up this view and do something really amazing with it. Yeah, I think we're all singing from a similar hymn sheet on this one, and I'm going to agree with, agree with everybody here. Don't turn Undertaker heel yet, as tempting as it must be, because I don't think I've ever been more interested in the Undertaker character, the Undertaker character, for a very long time. Even last year when we had all the Paul Bearer Dark Secret stuff, it was that which was carrying it. I don't think Undertaker's acting was really up to much a lot of the time, and his matches were mega up to snuff. He had a few snoozers in there with Farouk and the one against Austin. So yes, if Taker is going heel, which they're at least teasing, I wouldn't put it past him to make it all one giant swerve and he ends up feuding with Kane again, if I'm honest. I hope not, but I wouldn't rule that out. I do think that's where it's going to be. Think about it. The crowd are going to favour Austin at this event. There's no doubt about that. MSG, Austin's the hottest thing in pro wrestling, one of the hottest things in entertainment right now. The crowd are going to be behind him. Undertaker is going to get a lot of respect pops. I think, there's little, I think there's very little doubt about that. But the lion's share of the cheers will be with Austin anyway. So you've already got that covered. I think the face-v-face -face dynamic will make this a better match this time. With the added position of Austin coming in from now, that it is now just a brawler. Cold day in hell in 97. He and Undertaker had that match way too early nobody really wanted to see it and they spent 20 minutes exchanging ankle locks and stfs i don't want to see these two doing that i want to see these two oh yes raising hell we use that expression a lot when talking about austin because that's what people want to see and i think undertaker can throw down with the best of them so i think this match could be a high quality 1998 WWF style main event. I think this one could be pushing the big four stars if they're allowed to just tear it up for 20 minutes. I don't think there's much doubt about the result, to be honest with you. I think everybody knows that Austin is winning, but I think it'd be a whole lot of fun going there. So yes, big props to Mark Calloway for his work this month. He's made it really, really interesting. His facial expressions, his promos have really come on a bundle. He's fully deserved a big pay-per-view match against Stone Cold Steve Austin. And even if it is, as I think it will be, a losing effort. Even if he doesn't outright turn heel the next day or whatever, which I still think is likely, he has carved out a very interesting niche for himself. And just a few years ago when he was there having dogs with the likes of IRS and King Kong Bundy and John Gonzalez, who would have thought that would happen? And obviously keep it locked to this podcast for all that happens at SummerSlam next month. But that will conclude our foray into July 1998. I'd like to thank my panel today. Chris Lacey, thank you, my friend, and for the TV work as well. You're more than welcome. You know, it's nice to leave the land of extreme and see something different. The far more sanguine world of uh, WWF summer 1998. Uh, Chris, plug away, my friend. The floor, as they say, is yours. So, as always... You can hear the ECW shows to hear my musings on all things ECW. Um, as Rory did mention, there is a special going live. And it's a little bit of a collaboration with my other project, Show and Tell the Tunes. That's right, we're doing a music show. And we are reviewing the ECW Extreme Music Metal album. It's me, Rory, and Eric. And that will be your first of the 
fifth anniversary specials and that will go live as i said the first of the month um and obviously if you like that you can check out show and tell the tunes and hear my musings on all my music um rory has been on eric's been on we have had guests we do shows in particular about one band uh, recently just did ghost um and that can be found at show and tell with tunes on itunes and all other podcast places and if you want to see me musing about the upcoming football season you can follow me personally at lacy555666 thank you my friend and thank you too to pete kimber thank you rory yeah you can find me on twitter uh, at pete kimber one uh, i attend quite a lot of wrestling shows lots of photos and stuff like that um I'm, I'm getting a bit more active on Twitter at the moment, so please give me a follow. And uh, yeah, great show. Thanks for thanks for having me on. My pleasure. And Adam Joyce, thank you, sir. Uh, it's all been good, Rory. It's all been good. It has indeed. And have you got anything to plug? Now's the chance. Uh, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter. You know, the only 20 liar Twitter account, both followed by Jim Cornet and blocked by Hulk Hogan. That's at EL underscore J. Once again, at EL underscore J. And should my musings prove amusing for you, uh, I do do a lot of stand-up comedy around the country. You can check that out uh, on my comedian page at facebook.com forward slash EL dot J dot comedy. Please give me a like. And I'm like three short of breaking three figures. Um, also, I've recently started contributing to the Mindfart podcast. Uh, I believe the first one of those is comes out about the same time this one does so yes look that up mind fart with dave bailey uh i'm contributing as mlj the angry liberal uh with my views on such diverse to topics as donald trump brexit and um the day's holiday <laughs> if there's anything else after donald trump and brexit I think a day's holiday is a pretty sound third place, actually, after that one. Yes, thank you very much, Adam, and congratulations on being blocked by Hulk Hogan. Although, of course, he's now back in the good graces of the company, so, you know, maybe a reformed character. <laughs> much love, HH. That's all we need to say. <laughs> I am Rory McNamara. I have not yet been blocked by Hulk Hogan, but I'll keep at it. You can find me at Twitter, at PlanetsDropUV. Most importantly, we are the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, and we are on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. We're also on Facebook at Wrestling 20 Years. Follow us on Twitter for all sorts of musings, because that's the word of the last five minutes, about both modern day and past wrestling. We try to keep it in timeline best we can, but we also talk about the, the current period as well. Lots of good stuff on there coming up. We're going to have a live watch of SummerSlam 1989, the third mention of it today. That should be coming up very shortly. Watch out for that. And, of course, a new vote as to what our next watch long should be. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Podcatcher. Your Podcatcher apps, I should say. You can tell I just stick with Podbean because that's the other one. Stitcher, Google Play, you name it, you can find us out there. And, of course, my own personal favorite, Podcast Player. We do have a website, wrestling20yrs.com, laying dormant at the moment. Myself and Mr. Lazy did have a chat a couple of weeks ago about maybe bringing it back to life. So, again, watch this space. But if you do choose to venture onto there, loads of archive coverage going all the way back through our timeline to August 1993. Plus, we have the full archive of every single show we've ever done. So if you're new to this project 
and you did start out with fully loaded 1998, as I'm sure thousands of you did, that by all means dip back in there and please stay the course with us. It is all very much appreciated. On that very topic, we are on patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs for $5 a month. You keep this show running. You pay for our Observer subscription. You pay for our Torch subscription. You pay for our audio equipment. You get early shows when early shows are available. And as Chris mentioned, you will soon start getting bonus content. The music show is just one forthcoming. However, let me make absolutely clear, this show, the three monthly shows, WWF, WCW, ECW, will remain completely free. We will not charge you for those now or at any point in the future. But if you want a little bit more retro wrestling goodery, then patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs is the place to go. And as we have already mentioned too, our fifth anniversary is coming up next month. Again, keep it locked on the Twitter and Facebook pages for all the news there. But this has been Volume 2 of July 1998. Thank you so much for listening. Just to recap, Volume 1, WCW, Bill Goldberg winning the title and the Bash at the Beach pay-per-view. Volume 3, ECW, the build to Cyberslam. But I am Rory McNamara, so if you choice... Heat wave, heat wave, SummerSlam on, <laughs> SummerSlam on, SummerSlam on the brain. EC, ECW, okay, I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to jump ahead 11 years now and say, I can't wait for SummerFest. Now, there's a little joke for you. Everything, typical A Lacey, typical ECW. You can't let one go, can you? You venture into WWF word here and you pull up the, you pull up the boss. <laughs> I'm not even going to give you a thank at the end now. Yes, I am, because I'm a kind boss, really. So, from Adam Joyce, Pete Kimber, and Chris Lacey, thank you very much for listening. See you all again next month. So long, everybody.